This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Fast and Furious Presents, colon, Hobbs and Shaw. Hit the NOS! Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other film movie topics. This is episode 374. 374. I missed last week's show, and it was a palindrome, and yep. I really wanted you to say it, because uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to use the force and have him say palindrome, but no. it did not happen. No, it didn't happen, because I was very disappointed. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I just squeezed, I squeezed right past it. So, but you're back now. I am back, which is great because for this week we're talking Fast and Furious presents colon Hobbs and Shaw. That's right. Yeah. I just like how it says presents, so that now they can do anything that they want, it's any the, spinoff. It's the brand, want. yeah. It's like Fast and Furious presents Taj or Ted. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> want to see you know? him roll around in a bike in baby boy style. Well, that'd be Roman. Tej. No, it's Roman. Yeah. Tej is, yeah, sorry. Tej is, is Chris Ludacris Bridges. <laughs> he's a mechanic. He's a hacker. He's, he's more than a mechanic. He's, he's, got a mechanic he's helping shot global assault teams take down terrorists and whatnot. Like, he's, he's, he's the man. We know a lot about the Fast, and franchise, uh, the Fast Film franchise. That's, yeah, that's right we do. And joining us to just other, we have other Fast and Furious fans joining us for this podcast. Uh, joining us, we have from Cal State Fullerton, we've got him between a rock and a Statham place, is Professor Mike Dillon. Oof, vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us occasionally from the young folks, he's what you call a champagne problem. It's Jose Cordova. Hiya, guys. Hi. How are you guys doing this evening? Good. Oh, you know, as always, living the dream. I like that Jose is the champagne problem. That means he's got a McLaren in the uh, in the garage there. Yeah, we, we, I thought we all knew that. It's <laughs> just like something we knew about Jose <laughs> that he has a this McLaren. Yep, I commute in a McLaren every day. Oh wow, yeah, great gas mileage. Yeah. <laughs> Jose, I am glad to have you on here. I, if I'm not mistaken, you've been on at least at least three of our Fast and Furious podcast episodes since starting this podcast, since Fast Five came out. Yeah, when we didn't have guests, but I think ever since then, pretty sure you've been on most of these. Yeah, I'm the official Dwayne The Rock Johnson correspondent of this podcast. Yeah. As I am contractually obligated to be, I am here for this movie. Yeah, ever since there you, you signed that contract that we will not ever rip up, I mean, it just makes the most sense. Uh, it's a lifetime thing. Yeah. And of course, I mean, we've talked with Mike about a number of you know, higher brow films, some would say, but of course we'd have him on for Hobbs and Shaw. De- well, just debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on this podcast because I said, uh, you want me for Alita Battle Angel? You, you gotta let me do Hobbs and Shaw. So, <laughs> high-minded. It was, a, it was a deal with the devil. We can refuse it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, yeah, we're, the, we're a real Mephistopheles right now. <laughs> yeah, one for you. Uh, <laughs> Let's. Uh, that was a lot of syllables. Let's uh, keep going. <laughs> Let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, speaking of fast cars, our death-proof commentary is still out there, because our commentaries stay out there. Uh, but that was a lot of fun to do. But it is a new month, which means that we'll be doing a new commentary sometime this month. And we got some ideas, so we'll, uh, we'll see what we come up with. But uh, stay tuned, as far as that goes. What else? Oh, this is just good news for everybody involved. I saw this week, and I posted on our Twitter and our Facebook feed, that... The Alamo Drafthouse is hosting a clowns-only screaming for <laughs> It Chapter Two. So, wow! I, yeah, 
this is important because we need Abe to go to this screening. Preferably dressed as a clown, of course. Yeah, many questions. First of all, are is everyone dressing up as a clown? Because if so, it's a dangerous situation to be in. I don't know which clowns are killer clowns from outer space. I mean, my que- so you asked that question. Now I'm thinking, well, is everyone just like a professional clown, but they're dressed in their civvies? Or like... <laughs> Are they all going to be dressed as their clown? Exactly. Are they just there to clown around? Yeah, exactly. Like, do they all have yeah. to, like, just show their clown license, but they're dressed, like, in regular clothes, and they go in, like, oh, we're just having a nice time here? Or are they all dressed out in the, like, dressed to the nines in their clown costumes? Mm, I feel like it's more of the latter. Probably more of the latter, uh, which sounds like a dream for Abe, which is why we need to make this happen. I don't know how yet. I'm going I'm I'm, to, if, if I hear her squeak, I'm just going to, like, you know, <laughs> run out of there. I'm running out. Can you imagine an, an entire room full of people with, like, fuzzy hair and there's some, like, really tense scene happening and just, like, a squeak happens all of a sudden? <laughs> like, everyone just starts screaming, like, oh, my God! <laughs> but it's, like, completely on Brad because they're all clowns, like, with the nose. But, uh... But I also feel as though this is going to be for it, too. Everyone's going to be dressed up as Pennywise or some variation of Pennywise with incredibly realistic-looking makeup. So it's almost like a Halloween Horror Nights over at the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, so if anything, you should just be wearing, like, a yellow rain slicker, and you're the only, like, you're sitting in the middle of all of this. Am I also armless? <laughs> I mean, after the screening, maybe. Maybe maybe the whole thing's just a front for, like, some heist going on in the theater, like Quick Change or Dark Knight. Yeah, that would be a good movie. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's, uh-huh. it's actually, a, there's a Quick Change screening happening underneath the theater, and that's the real play I'm going to. <laughs> I'm bad for that. Yeah. Well, I want people to show up as other clowns. Like, I want, like, Ronald McDonald. Joker. I can't think of another. Uh, yes, there you go. <laughs> that clown from Are exactly. You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, <laughs> see, we need, we need other types of clowns here, too. Okay, well, we'll fi- we'll figure this out as we go along. I just wanted to bring up the fact that there is a clowns-only screening of it, so I mean, <laughs> which obviously is making a lot of men really angry. But um, enough of that talk. Let's. Uh, <laughs> what, what else? Wait, can you get turned away at the line if you're not clowned up enough? I feel like first, that's clown first off, first off, Mike, that's racist, and also <laughs> we'll, we'll figure we'll figure that out as the as the. I think the I think the term you're looking for is that's clownist. Clownist. All right. Seems subjective. <laughs> exactly. Were there any iTunes reviews or ratings? <laughs> Good to get those. Helps out our show. If you like this nonsense, well, preceding the other nonsense we're going to get into, uh, be sure to log into iTunes, search for our show out and out there in a name, give us a rating review. That'd be great. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah. Uh, summer box office gamble. Uh, Jose, you're a part of the summer. You're the you're a past winner. <laughs> so, yes, most recent winner. Yeah, you're the most actually. recent winner. Um, you're in the heat of this race with Abe and I, along with several other guests on the show, where we try to predict the top ten highest grossing films of the summer. Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw opened this weekend, which is another entry that I think many of us have somewhere in our top tens. It opened to sixty million. Not a bad chunk of change. Uh, we'll, we'll see where that takes us from here. Lion King still making a ton of money. I'm just going to say right now, I have the top four locked, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, I know some others have the same lineup as well. Abe doesn't. But, you know, we'll um, we'll see we'll see where things end up. I'm just going to say that I'm number one. I just want to say that out loud. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you win if you win? Oh. A pat on the back. Is it chocolate? No, there's a prize. The winner gets a prize. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another $20 million this weekend. So it's still still a chance for that one as well, which I have my number, as my number 10. So we'll see mm. what happens. There you go. Uh, and other movies are making tons of money as well. There's a lot of money being made with these big blockbusters. Some movies did not do well. But, um, Aladdin, so much money. I mean, it's a whole new world, buddy. Yeah, one jump. All right. <laughs> That's enough of that. Let's move on to some know everybody. Reese, we asked each other a question or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast. Better get to know, know everybody. everybody. Oh, it's too fast. 
Oh. Uh, not Fury. No, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> that was the Fury I wanted, so it all worked out. Pretty good. Abe, hey, you got a question for us? A question for you guys. How do you guys like your eggs in the morning? Just drinking it raw Rocky style or, you know, some sort of, like, fancy omelet? I'm a sunny side up guy. Sunny side up? Yeah. Okay. In fact, on my lovely girlfriend and I just had sunny and sunny side up this morning. Just eggs at 7 p.m.? <laughs> no, we had, we had more than eggs, but yes, we had eggs and they were sunny side up. Got it. Scrambled? Scrambled? Yes. I'm going to go over easy. Over easy? There we go. We've covered the whole gamut because I'm over medium. Well, well, there you See, I get over medium at certain places because I think they're going to undercook it. So I'm like, I'll say over medium. It'll still be over easy. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. Exactly. Whenever I say over medium, I'm actually kind of upset that people don't really do over medium that well because they'll usually just give me over easy. Still, it's okay. But, you know, I like a little bit more of my uh, of my uh, egg a little bit more cooked. Well, that's the thing. Like, if I get it over easy and I know they're going to undercook it, it's going to be too runny. So it's like, that's why I say over medium, because I still like, you know, I like it cooked, but at the same time, I like it over easy, which is yeah, pretty I much the like same as Sunny Side Up, which is presentation at that point. Scoop up. This is important. Like, I'm glad this we asked a... this question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we're all Jason Sathams is what, this Wait, is so, what we've just answered. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But like, so The Rock, he's drinking just straight up eggs. He's like drinking like six eggs. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio. He doesn't have the yolk. He's just taking the whites, putting it in his drink, you know, getting I mean, ready for lines the next day. Drink. Yeah. Hey, so I don't mean to jump ahead, but since you mentioned The Rock, is there was there a moment early on in this film when Hobbs just eats coffee right out of a can with yes. a spoon? Yes. yes. There is, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just he, checking. Who, who, Folgers have, brand for all the trivia heads out there. He doesn't have a time for a French press. The only thing he's pressing is, you know, <laughs> those dumbbells, right? All right? I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, all I know is if is if um, if this is what it means to be a man, I really don't stack up. <laughs> that wasn't even for the movie. That's just they just filmed him getting ready in the morning. <laughs> that, I, I, we'll, talk about, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I assume most of this movie is just outtakes, and they just put it in the final cuts, so, <laughs> including the stunts. Um, I have a question for you guys. Yes. What is an unpopular opinion you have about the Fast and Furious franchise? Uh. I don't know if it's unpopular, but um, just from the tweet storms over the weekend, uh, Tokyo Drift is not the worst movie. Uh, no, not at all. I was telling Jose before we started recording, I put on Tokyo Drift again because I was like, I hadn't watched it in a while. I was like, is this really like top three? Because I consider it top three. Or am I yeah. just like saying that? And I watched like, no, this movie rocks. Like, what am I? What was, why was I questioning yeah. myself? I feel stupid for doing that. Like, it's I, a, just, wanna, it's awesome. I just want to say that for everybody that's like, oh, Tokyo Drift is like probably one of the weakest ones. Like, Justin Lin brought the movie back from like the depths of like death. You know what I mean? And then he went on to go direct like the next like three. And Everyone loved the next three. To so. be fair, Too Fast, Too Furious made more than the original Fast and Furious. John Singleton, R.I.P. And, and Tokyo Drift, yeah, that was the lowest of the. Then they're like, well, let's just get, let's just let them do it again, but this time with the you know original old with the original cast. old parts, new models. That was that was the tagline of the movies. There you go. Yeah. And that was the worst movie in the franchise. But then number four is bad. I don't the, like it that much. Then Fast Five happened. I mean, this is yeah. And I had I. We've talked about this. I've had my doubts, and then all of a sudden, Fast Five, and I was like, this is one of the best movies of that year. All of this said, I know, I have a good idea of what Jose's Fast and Furious ranking is. I don't know what Mike's opinion We'll get to that when we get more to the show. Any other sure. unpopular opinions on the Fast and Furious franchise, though? I have, let me say mine, because I had, I thought of this question because I thought of one. Okay. I think Tyrese is one of the best actors in this, in this whole series. Okay. I think he's better than huh. most of the actors in this franchise. I, I would split the difference. I, I might agree with 
your assessment of Tyrese, but I think Roman is one of the worst characters in the franchise. I would ag- I, I would agree there, which is why it's like it's impressive to me that Tyrese has this He's amount of talent. But absolutely they only give committed him, to it. Yeah. yeah, but they but they only give him so much to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, unpopular opinions. I don't hate number four as much as everyone does. There you go. There you go. I'll say this about um, four. it has it has the two two of the best series action sequences right at the beginning of the movie. I yes, that first heist. That yeah, that, that first, first heist that, is really that, good. Yeah, that like gas tank heist, which is crazy, mm-hmm. and then that Paul Walker chases guys over rooftops action. It's like, all right, like we started strong, then the the rest of the movie happened. But I mean, it starts really well. Oh, but also you don't get five, six, seven, eight without four, right? Four is the soft yeah. reboot. That tends so. to be how what numbers work. So yeah, I, you know, I yeah, think. I mean <laughs> that's a good point. And you also get introduced. Yeah, you, you kind of really don't get the rock unless four doesn't happen. What what if what if they had Tokyo Drift and they just named the next movie Fast Five? Or like, wait, what happened to four? Like, what how did this happen? <laughs> I wouldn't be mad. I know what you're saying though, Mike. I mean, you're right. It does set things up for the next movie. Like, it's it is important. Uh, I do love Tokyo Drift. I don't know if that's unpopular because I know that that one gets a lot of love. It didn't at the time, but yeah, it seems to it's become more of a cult favorite, but it's still like a divisive entry, I guess, for people. Yeah, I mean, maybe everyone's just mad because Brad from Home Improvement's in it. He gets beat. I don't care about Brad. <laughs> he loses the race. <laughs> and I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think we sufficiently answered this question, which I'm very happy about. So that's how you play. No, no everybody. That was a <laughs> little late, just like Internet Explorer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's move on now. Let's get to some now quickies. Yeah. Each week we have one movie that we talk about. Trademark. There we go. Been missing you on that one. Oh, too fast. Too furious. <laughs> yeah, furious. Yeah. <laughs> too swift. Uh, too miffed. <laughs> Abe, have you seen any of their movies recently? Uh, you guys talk about Lion King. I wasn't here for Lion King. I kind of give my thoughts on Once Upon a Time on Hollywood when I came on for games last week. Uh, Lion King was weird because I think that movie is a little bit longer than the original 1994 it's half animated. Hour longer. And it, it lacks in so much more heart and depth and almost like every other feeling. Um, it feels like it's, it's, uh, moving along at a rapid pace. Like they seem to use some of the same lines, but then it just feels like they're fast forwarding through some of it. So, an example would be when Nala goes and finds Simba again with Timon and Pumbaa. And, you know, I think in the cartoon, it actually goes over the course of, like, maybe a day or two. I mean, in this one, she's just like, you got to go back, like, right now, buddy. And uh, he's just like, no, I can't do that. Um, the animation is obviously fantastic, but there's just so much that I felt um, kind of, like, didn't work. Um, some of the voice acting seemed a little bit hollow, and I just wasn't a big fan of that. So overall, I would say that it's one of those rental type movies. Uh, I would necessarily, I mean, the action, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the animation looks great, but everyone's got like expensive TVs at their homes these days. Uh, so I'm pretty sure you're not going to miss out on anything with regard to that. Um, but that was that. Um, I, I, keep, I, keep, I keep thinking about Lion King and all the money it's making and how much I just have not thought about that movie ever since we basically did the since podcast like yeah. since, since the, well since the podcast since that's the last yeah. time i generally talk about certain movies where it's like it's such a it's not like horrifically bad but there's nothing spectacularly great about it it just kind of exists and this is right. like the epitome of that because it's like look they spent all this money to make this spectacular looking quote-unquote spectacular looking lion king movie and i have nothing else to say about it beyond it exists at this point it's like all right it's there like and I'm pretty sure that there'll be some sort of special features that will make 
be kind of curious about how they made some of it, but... We'll just show a bunch of, like, here's a computer, and here's the screen when it looked like this, <laughs> and here's the progression where it looked like this. It's like, all right. I, I'd also <laughs> want to say that, you know, it's kind of a waste to bring back um, James Earl Jones, and he brings, like, half of what he brought to oh, the yeah, cartoon he, version. He brings no authority to this yeah, version of Mufasa. And I'm just like, why would you even do this? I mean, why? I mean, I, I think cool we talked about it with um, Kevin and Aaron on that episode as far as you could have just taken his lines and just like sped him up or slowed him down as you needed to instead of just paying him again. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you know, he's getting paychecks. So that's great. Uh, it's always great to get those. But with all that being said, I, I also watched uh, Halloween 2018's Halloween because I was listening to some other podcast and they were talking about how fun it was and i remember that you and i talked about it too we also found it to be a good movie and i was like yeah it still holds up you know there's still some flaws in it but still uh the third act is is a little bit more fast-paced than maybe uh, the the rest of the movie but it's still a fun movie overall so you're so you're ready for halloween kills and halloween ends when i saw that they were naming it that i was like you know <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't tell if they're just joking but it seems like they're really going for those names i like those names they're fun Halloween, Halloween kills and Halloween what ends? Ends, yeah. So they, they I'm, got, I'm fine with it. They got a they got a goal in sight for their tri- their reboot trilogy wrap up. So do you think Laurie Strode's gonna be 120 next next movie? Be what? 120 years old next movie? She's not that old now. Like what? <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be cool if she's like super fast forward in the future. So you like want, Mars in space? You want a you want a sci-fi Halloween entry now? <laughs> No, she, no, not, no. Not really. she she takes Activia, so I think uh... there you go, staying regular. <laughs> this well, is my, actually news to me. The last I, I didn't know. I didn't know those are the the sequel titles. I'm, this is you're breaking news to me. Yeah, yeah. 20, yep. 2020 Halloween kills and twenty twenty one Halloween ends. Can't wait, mm. Mike. How about you? What have you seen recently? I've mostly been spending the summer watching indie films. I kind of came out of my cave, especially for Hobbs and Shaw. So. <laughs> what have I seen? I saw The Art of Self-Defense, mm-hmm. uh, which is very dark and very funny. My kind of movie. Uh, I agree. Last... Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. It's very funny it's, it's, and very it's dark. very good. It, yeah, it, it, it owes maybe a little too much to Fight Club and sort of Project Mayhem type For stuff. For sure, but, yeah. But it, it's, it's very good. <clears throat> and uh, the last thing I saw was The Peanut Butter Falcon, which opens later this month in wide release, I believe. I literally just watched that as well today. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's a charming film. It's it's a bit slight, you know, but it's uh, worth supporting if only because it gives really substantive employment to a disabled actor. And so props there. Explain, um, explain a little bit what that movie's about, because I think people would like this movie to an extent. It, yeah, it's this. It's That's very, the first time I'm hearing of it. Yeah, yeah it's this kind of small, almost Mark Twain uh, mm-hmm. narrative about a uh, young guy with Down syndrome who's in a in a care facility and he escapes because he wants to become a wrestler and he's he wants to make this journey this takes place where somewhere in the the american south sure yeah yeah and he he's trying to go on this pilgrimage to what he believes to be a wrestling school and he encounters shia labeouf's character who is this sort of ne'er-do-well river guy and he they 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 pair up and they go on this journey together um i like how shia labeouf has like, it took a while for him to get, like, situated in what he wants to do as an actor, but now he just plays, like, scumbum characters that randomly pop up <laughs> right. so people can team I, up with him. Yeah, I, like I, American I, Slender, he looks like he's playing the same character. I mean, I haven't been keeping up with LeBeouf, but 
I felt like this film is a good reminder that he has really great screen charisma. I do. I, I think, agree. It's it's, like a, it's he's been mm-hmm. he's been out in the woods for for a while now, but he's really affecting in this movie. It's it's a it's a good film. Yeah, I'm going to say like, American uh, Honey. Not yeah, American I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never not been against like LaBeouf as an actor. He's just like the the like especially like when Fury was not even just like the stuff he's been doing like outside of the screen, but like when Fury was coming out and he's like. I'm going to like take out one of my teeth and, add, and actually <laughs> cut my face so I can be as macho as John Bernthal and Michael Pena in this tank movie. He's like, come on, guy. Like, you know? Hey, man, <laughs> I will say that he was pretty good in that movie. Well, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, I don't need like Dostoevsky esque method acting levels from Shia LaBeouf to show me that he's like great in the yeah. B tank movie. <laughs> like, no, his, whole, his whole performance art persona in real life is just obnoxious. It's yes, not it, it is. That's what... But on screen, he can carry a film. For sure. Hmm. I agree, because I, 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 I hear what you're saying, like, saying it's kind of slight, or it's like, yeah, it's not like, it's not going to leave a major impression as far as my end of the year list goes or anything, but I did like the film, so I was happy to, like, check it out, the Peanut Butter Falcon, so that's, like you said, it's coming out in the theater soon. So. Hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's a good showcase for that, the uh, the actor, is, I, I think it's Zach, uh, I lost it, Got, Zach. Gots, yeah, it, but, the, but the character who actually has Down syndrome playing this character, like, it, he's... Yeah they make a likable team so it's it's solid so that's that's what i've seen most recently cool okay, great jose how about you what have you seen recently uh i had a really good movie week actually okay about some time i watched uh midsummer on wednesday finally caught uh-huh. it before it left theaters mm-hmm. um and that was wild um <laughs> i think i'm still trying to process a lot of that uh but i enjoyed um hereditary last year um, and you can totally see the familiar DNA in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that struck me the most is there are moments in that movie that are really funny. Yeah. And a lot of the interpersonal uh, relationship stuff is is leads to these really awkward moments that, that are just like really hilarious in a way. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really visually striking movie. Um, dealing a lot with like grief and stuff, and I'm still not entirely sure what the, what the movie's trying to say. Uh, but I think it's really it was really interesting. I'm glad I watched it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I watched uh, the farewell yesterday, oh, uh, which cool. was I really really enjoyed. Um, it it's I think probably one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. It reminded me a lot of of going to Mexico and seeing my extended family. Hmm. Um, and it's also also surprisingly funny in a lot of different places. Um, yeah, recommend both of them. Well, yeah, glad to hear. Yeah, big yeah. big support for the farewell as well, which is doing quite well for its. Uh... It got a wider release this week, but it's been, as far as a movie like that goes, it's been doing well with the box office, which I think is a credit to both the kind of the buzz behind it and just the, the way it's been presented to people. It's like, you should see this movie. <laughs> like, it's worthwhile. Yeah, we watched, uh, I just noticed multiple like families leaving the theater um, mm-hmm. as, as we were all leaving. And I think that's one of the reasons it's probably making so much money. Mm. Yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe they miscalculated this and should have released it later in the year to uh, be a better contender for awards, especially for Aquafina. I mean, A24 tends to, they, they like to put their money around things when they can, so I won't be surprised if it kind of yeah. sticks around. Like uh... it, it'll, it'll, it'll pop up in like Independent Spirit Awards and things like that, but I wonder mm. if uh, the fact that it's out in July might, might work against it when it comes time to start thinking about year-end movies. That, I mean, that would be too bad, is what I'm saying. No, I, I hear you. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, that comes down to just their own strategies for these kind of things. Um, I'll really good I've... score. Yeah, yeah, it is a good score. Good job. 
<clears throat> I'll note, by the way, before I start going, uh, I did feed my tarantula this weekend, which means there are crickets in the background once again. If people want don't to hear them, that. but I'll <laughs> just, uh, make a note of that. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, I've seen a couple things I want to make note of. Uh, let's see. First up, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a third time with my father this week. Dad's movie mm-hmm. corner. He was a fan. Um, let's see. With my lovely girlfriend, we watched the original Mighty Joe Young from 1949. With um, Charlie Theron? The original Mighty Joe Young from oh, 1949. Original. Sorry. <laughs> it's like I said all these things to prevent you from doing that. No, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I blanked out for a second. I was, I was tabulating my several movie gamble. <laughs> um, that is, it's a very, it's a great showcase for stop motion animation. That was Ray Harryhausen's, like, his, one of his, I believe his oh, first, wow. like, big, like, stop motion oh. visual effects movie. Um, and is it in color? You know, it's not in color, but this is really interesting. It's in black and white, but there's a, the climax of the film involves Mighty Joe Young saving kids from a burning building. And what it it's really interesting because it's black. It's a black and white movie, but because for that scene, it shifts to a red tint, and it's it's kind of wild because I I have I I literally can't think of an example I've seen of that before for a black and like silent movies I get because those movies are tinted anyway. Like that's different, but like for a black like a straight up black and white film from like the 30s and beyond. I haven't seen something like that before, so I found that to be really interesting to watch. So, but huh. uh, between yeah, between that and the stop motion work, like it's just it's a it's a that great delightful. It's a great well, I mean, it's a fun it's a fun movie to begin with because you know there are these it's Mighty Joe Young. It's just it's from was it um Shodzak who who like co-directed the first King Kong and was been working with Marion C. Cooper on all the Kong movies and whatnot. But like it's it has that kind of like gee whiz feeling of watching this movie, but the special effects for it are like really like they they have this quality that just really works if you're kind of like into that sort of use of mechanics to make these creatures come to life but anyway how, how does it stack up against rampage <laughs> <laughs> you know friend of, friend of the show maxwell had it uh said he was watching rampage the other day and i made sure to correct him saying you mean fast and furious presents hobbs and kong <laughs> um, it's just it's just a better title <laughs> anyway um, how did you but, watch uh mighty joe young is that streaming or um, yeah, blu-ray I'm sure it. I watch it on Blu-ray. I have the. Uh, there's a Warner Brothers special effects collection, which is actually pretty cool. It has Son of Kong, Mighty Joe Young, The Beasts of Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which was an inspiration for the original Godzilla, as well as them exclamation point featuring giant ants. Um, so it's a cool little cool. set. I think it was on sale once. It was like I'll say for like twenty bucks for four movies. Like yeah, why would I not want to have this? But uh, I know it's out there. Like it has a the Blu-ray looks nice, so it has a nice HD transfer. So I'm sure it's like streaming as well. You can probably rent it mm. if it's not streaming already for free. Um, yeah. And, How are you going to oh, alphabetize that on your shelf? <laughs> I put it in my. I have a monster. So I I arrange by genre when it comes to my physical media. Oh. Yeah. So I, I, it's it's on, <laughs> it's on my shelf with my Godzilla movies and my Kong movies. And my Godzilla shelf is about to get a lot smaller because of the Criterion Godzilla box at the time. Yeah. No. So, we get it. You're rich. <laughs> that's not <laughs> rich. <laughs> This, well, is why, yeah, this is why every time I go over to Aaron's house, we got to get like frisked and then we got to go through like four gates. It's like a cartel life. Cavity search. Um, <laughs> That's because of your bad ge- history, though. Genuine, right? genuine question. Genuine question. So the Alien franchise, do you put that under sci-fi or horror? So the Alien... <laughs> Be honest. Uh, just buy yourself two copies of everything. No, I, you'll, that, exactly. That's that's the that makes the most sense. No, I have a I have a box set row that has a lot of like film trilogies and whatnot that are collected into one single box, and that's a that sits on that row on that shelf. Such a cop out. I know. 
when you have to manage as much space as I do for all the physical media I have, you, 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 you come and tell me how you do it. Um, I'm very happy with how I have my things arranged. Um, last night I wanted to make is that Anna really enjoyed Mighty Joe Young as well. She really loved it. Um, with, uh, with Shirley Theron? No, in 1949. With Robert Armstrong, who starred in the first two King Kong movies and then plays an entirely different character in Mighty Joe Young. So I'm not sure if they're connected in the same universe, if there's a Skull I Island. Like they, I, like they are. <laughs> I mean, there could be a Skull Island because Mighty Joe Young comes from Africa, so it's different. They don't explain why he's a big gorilla. He's just big. That's just how it is. I had other movies to talk about, but I'm taking entirely too long, so I'll just <laughs> <laughs> I'll breeze I'll breeze through these. Uh, I had some screeners, so I watched them. Uh, Love Antosha, uh, Antosha. This is the uh, Anton Yelchin documentary. Um, that... Oh, I hear it's heartbreaking. It it is like I think the movie's like fine. It's, it's like it's not doing anything particularly innovative. It's just more of a nice piece on <laughs> this guy and how he basically. Like, even the kind of the fact that he lost his life, it's more focused on just what he was doing up until the point where he died. Um, and you get you get a lot of interviews with a lot of actors and directors, whatnot, that he worked with. But most importantly, you get a lot of work. You, gotta, you get a lot of interview from his uh, his parents, which makes a lot of sense. But be, just the the amount of documenting he did about himself as far as, like, being a writer and filming things and being a photographer, like, it's all... It, it helps to kind of give you a good perspective on who this guy was and how he kind of made people feel brighter around him. Uh, but yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, that the, sounds heartbreaking. Yeah, the the opening scene of the movie is like him as a little kid, like dancing and singing. It's like this is so sad already <laughs> just to watch this. Mm. Um, but you know, it's worthwhile if you you know find it streaming somewhere, or what have you. Um, let's see, Loose came out as another streamer. I got this uh, this film. Um, it's based on, it's based off a play. It's been adapted. It's directed by Julius Ona, who did the uh, that Cloverfield movie that all of us hated last year. Um, this is completely different from that. It is a drama. Um, it stars uh, Kelvin Harris Jr., who was in uh, It Comes at Night, which I was a big fan of, and he's very good in it, um, mm-hmm. and Octavia Spencer. He plays, like, a kid uh, that's just really, a con- like, he's he's been, a, he has adopted parents. He came, he, he, was, he was adopted, and he became, like, just this great student all around. Octavia Spencer plays a teacher who's basically challenging the fact that whether or not he actually is a good, like, person in life. And it's based a lot around their confrontations between each other and the parents, played by uh, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. It's mm. a it's a good kind of stage thriller. Um, I tend to be a little more wishy washy on what how much I like movies based off of plays, um, but I think that I mean it has it has it has some great reviews for good reason. I think I think the performances are quite strong. We go in American uh, accents with Tim Roth and uh, Naomi Naomi Watts. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting casting. Cause a lot of funny games. It's not. Yeah, I was gonna say they're they're it's them again, but it's you know it, I think it's on purpose that you cast them because they both started funny games together as husband and wife, and it's like okay, that's that's a choice. Um, I'm seeing I'm seeing loose tomorrow actually. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Maybe talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll mention: the Red Sea Diving Resort. This is um, basically Argo, but with Chris Evans. Uh, it's about a team of Mossad agents that build a fake hotel so they can rescue Ethiopian Jews. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Like it's a Netflix movie. It's just kind right. of like this exists, <laughs> and I watched it, and it filled time. Like that's kind of the extent of it. Has a great cast: Michael K. Williams, uh, Alessandra Nivola, Greg Kinnear, Ben Kingsley. Um, it's directed by the guy that created Homeland. Um, both the original series and like was involved in the showtime version um but yeah it's just like chris evans has a beard and he helps save jews which is like well that's nice (laughs) so you're saying he filmed it in between avengers infinity war and else i mean i was watching with that beard and thinking okay i see when you did this like that's 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 what i got out of it 
Uh, but yeah. All right. That's enough quickies. Tim? Let's move on now. Let's get to some trailer talk. We got a couple new trailers that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, both World War One themed because it's the hip new topic with the kids. Uh, first up is 1917. This is the new Sam Mendes film. Uh, yeah. It's got a bunch of people in it, including Colin Firth and Richard Madden and Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch, of course. So, Jose, what did you think of the trailer for 1917? Um, I thought it was fine. I... I... So Sam Mendes, I've actually, the only movie of his that I've seen is Skyfall. Oh, I take that back. I saw Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. I forgot that he did Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> Which shows you what, what I thought about that movie, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, so I only know him from those two movies. Um, so so I, I don't know what this trailer is selling other than Sam Mendes, and it's about World War One, and this guy has one very specific mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if that looks interesting, then, you know, maybe you're on board for this movie. Um, I, I thought it looked fine. I don't know that I'm going to rush out to see this because like I said, the Sam Mendes doesn't necessarily mean anything to me. And, um, they're all great actors in the, uh, in the cast. Uh, so maybe just based on that. And I'm not sure, is, is that coming out later this year? Yeah, it's Christmas. Yeah. I, I feel like this could get this. lost in yeah. that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's a good double feature. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it might get lost in that shuffle. Um, but, but I thought the, the trailer really leaned a lot on on Sam Mendes, and then they're doing that thing with the the way they're bringing in those numbers and those letters, which I thought was an interesting presentation for a trailer. Mm. Hey, how about you? You know, I, I like the trailer. I like the the um, the tone of it is, hey, look, you know, we're gonna focus on this very specific task at hand. Two soldiers, one of them's your brother, or your brother is like a part of this battalion that's gonna be. Uh, basically ambushed uh, if you don't get to like the front lines and tell them. And I was like, I like that it's specific. It's not just like super broad and like, oh, this is what the British did in World War Two, or I'm sorry, World War One. Um, it's like, no, it's ultra specific. It's a story about people, and I'm curious how it's going to go. The production design looks fantastic, but uh, I do know what you mean, Jose, by pushing a lot of Sam Mendes, like, hey, the director of Skyfall, and I, you know, uh, whatever else in there. But I like how he's, like, he's won an Oscar, and they're like, from the director of Skyfall, which makes sense. It made a billion dollars. I get it. But it's just like, <laughs> like this is this is the, the from director of this? <laughs> but I often think about, whenever they choose the films to represent, like, the studios are like, hey, look, let's, let's put the most popular ones. Like, I don't know. Sometimes it makes sense to have some relevant films, too, but... You know, Sam Mendes has done a, a breath of work, uh, but without that being said, I'm sure that there's like Skyfall is the one that people will remember. Um, but I'm I'm curious to see how this one goes. I do like the topic of World War One. Um, I think that the everyone tends to focus a lot on World War Two, but there's been good books written about World War One, and there's also been like a lot of stuff that's uh, post World War One that's been pretty amazing, like the Spanish flu and and whatever else. So I'm curious to see how it turns out. I mean, I did get some weird vibes of uh, Nolan's um, uh, Dunkirk, easily, but yeah. obviously different, different, uh, different wars. But I am curious to see just um, the scope of it all. I, I, it, it does look like it's going to be an expensive movie, or it was an expensive movie. So curious, and also the kid from, um, you know, uh, the kid from uh, Captain uh, Fantastic. Fantastic is there. So I'm curious. Can I ask a quick question? Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm recusing yeah. myself from the discussion just because I, I haven't seen the trailers, but uh-huh. I'm eavesdropping and I'm curious about. <clears throat> you guys are mentioning how they're really leaning into Sam Mendes, and but specifically Skyfall, and obviously not American Beauty. Do you think that's possibly because Kevin Spacey is 
persona non grata right now no i think it's because skyfall it's again made a billion dollars it's more it, recent yeah. and just visually speaking skyfall's visuals by roger deakins which is the same for cinematographer here nice. i i think all of those elements and honestly the dunkirk aspect of it because they're very similar like i think it lends itself more to show off like action movie this guy's shooting it it reminds you of this kind of thing this kind of emotion versus a movie from 20 years ago that has nothing to do with world war one sure 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 I know, yeah. I know what you're saying, because yes, I mean, there, it's an, he won his Oscar for a film that stars Kevin Spacey, so it's like, but at the same time, it's like, well, do audiences really care? Like, a big war movie's coming out, they're like, American Beauty died in this, that movie's <laughs> re- relevant, so like, <laughs> I mean, as far as my thoughts go on the trailer, I, 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 I agree with you, Abe, I, I am fast, I tend to be pretty fascinated by World War One. we're both fans of War Horse, for that matter. Um, that's, that's that's a sad movie. <laughs> it is, it's very sad, um, but I, I as much as like I can give or take getting like more war movies, but at the same time, World War One is such a it's a it's such a it's an interesting war, to, especially just because it hasn't been like shown in this capacity as much as World War Two obviously has um, where, you know, the enemies are so obvious in that film. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this time around, you have what I like is that, yes, you have something very specific that is trying to be done here. It's not a matter of like, let's tell you the story of World War One. It's like, let's tell you a very specific thing that's happening with these people. And mm-hmm. on top of that, we're going to cast a lot of, well, like, a lot like Dunkirk, actually. You have a lot of bigger actors seemingly playing supporting roles in the midst of these two characters having to do some kind of mission. And between that, the fact that Sam Mendes, who I do like as a director, uh, him and Deacon's working together again on something that's very big and epic like this. I'm into that. Like that, that that's won me over right away. So I, <laughs> I, I'm very excited to see this movie. It looks, I, I like that Deacon's does seem to be, or um, Mendes does seem to be kind of chasing Nolan because like Skyfall is very much like The Dark Knight, and this movie looks very much like Dunkirk. So it's like, <laughs> all right, well, if he if he found a groove, I mean, good for him. But um, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, 1917, it's uh. Uh, Christmas Day. So yeah, that's when that's mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, we had one more trailer, also about World War One. It is The King's Man. This is a prequel to the Kingsman series. Um, it's still directed by Matthew Vaughn. This time around, we have Ray Fiennes, Reese Fiennes, Matthew Good, Tom Hollander, Daniel Brühl, Gemma Arterton, Jaimon Hansu, The Tooch, among others, all starring in this thing. <laughs> I mean... I'll I'll just say it right it's an all-star now. All-star cast. Like, it is a pretty all-star cast, which yeah. is pretty par for the course for Kingsman movies. I don't like I I like the first Kingsman a lot. I think the second one is was fine the one time I watched it. Um right. doing more of it, but in an earlier time period. Again, the fa- like the fact that it's World War One and Rasputin's involved, I'm like, this actually looks pretty good. <laughs> like I'm into this. I'm into the <laughs> visuals here. Whether or not it's gonna be anything groundbreaking on a script level. I couldn't tell you, but they've got a lot of people that I like in this cast, and the the setting looks pretty intriguing to me. So I'm I'm into it. How about you guys? Hey, what do you think? Yeah, I'm also uh, curious about it. I, I I don't particularly kind of like enjoy the second one as much. I mean, I think I sort of mentioned that it was uh, it fell symptom or it fell victim to sort of uh, sequels that get larger bucket budgets where they just make things louder and more uh, action sequences. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, that's why I was a bummer because the first Kingsman, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of like the, the, the take that it's giving on this secret society of special agents kind of thing. But for this one, you know, I'm a big fan of everyone involved here. I mean, you mentioned Jamon Hansi, but also Ray Fiennes and whatever else. And, and I was glad that Matthew Vaughn's coming back to direct it. Cause I was thinking to myself, if the visual aesthetic isn't the same as the others, then I'm curious what they would do, but it's Matthew Vaughn again. And he's probably, uh, hopefully he's going to round out his vision in this 
franchise series uh, with the King's Men, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Supposedly, there will be a third King's Men movie, and that'll be like the last of these. So I mean, the last, like the future, future. Yeah. I also like how there's like the guy who doesn't say anything. He's like the young recruit, and I was like, I hope that he doesn't say anything throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, last time Not we got a young. The first time we got a King's movie, we got Taron Egerton out of it. He just he's proven pretty pretty good in things. He's, yeah, he's he's in one of the top ten movies of the year <laughs> of the summer. Was it Robin Hood? Uh, yeah, that's right. Jamie <laughs> Foxx, Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx is in Robin Hood. Jose, what do you think of this trailer? Uh, I had a fun time watching this trailer because I did not realize that it was a Kingsman prequel, <laughs> and so <laughs> I watched it going like. Man, that title, it's so close to Kingsman. I wonder, <laughs> they're really going for it. And uh, it sort of slowly, re- if you don't know that, I think it sort of very slowly reveals itself to be a, a Kingsman trailer. And so they, it worked on me in that sense. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I basically agree with you guys. The the cast looks really cool. Um, R- Rafe Fiennes, I was... I was sitting there watching it going, oh, yeah, he wasn't in one of these already. Like, I, <laughs> he, I sort of like I would have assumed, even though I've seen both those movies, you know, he seemed like the person who would have been in one of these movies. Um, but I was also struck by Respian. I love um, is it was it just called Anastasia? The the animated movie? Yeah. Yeah. Anastasia. Yeah. Yes. I love that movie. Um, and I've always been fascinated by Respian as a character, you know, a character or, you know, real historical figure. Um I'm interested to see how they fold them into the into the this weird universe that they've created, um, and I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, the Kingsman opens uh, February 14th, which I believe was when the first Kingsman film opened up as well. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Perfect um, Valentine's Day. Exactly. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, all right. Let's move on now. Let's get to let's get to our main review for Fast Ampersand Furious presents Colin Hobbs Ampersand Shaw. Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw. We've got unfinished business. Shaw's sister took something from me. A virus that could wipe out half the population, and I want it back. You wanna tell me just what we're dealing with here? It's my sister. Family business. When it's the fate of the world, it becomes my business. This whole thing sounds really dodgy. Look after your sister. Listen, I'll handle it. The only way we survive is working together like a team. Let's do this. Buckle up, fat boy. On my three. One. Ah! <laughs> Woo! Hey, see the look on his face? You have no idea how long I've been waiting to do that. Yeah. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Fast and Furious Presents, Colin Hobbs and Shaw. It's finally happened. Fast and Furious had too much machismo to contain for just one series of films. Couple that with a very public beef between stars Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson, and we now have a spin-off that focuses on the chemistry swing between Johnson and Jason Statham in The Fate of the Furious. For this film, Hobbs and Shaw are brought together in an effort to stop Idris Elba's Brixton lore, an MI6 agent-turned-villainous cyborg, from obtaining a virus that could kill the world. Shaw's sister Hattie, played by Vanessa Kirby, is in possession of the virus, which means she, Hobbs, and Shaw will do what they can to protect it, while hoping, hopefully stopping Brixton by any over-the-top means necessary. Oh shit, is that what this movie's about? I know, right? There's a lot Crazy. going on. Mike, huh. where, where are you with the Fast and Furious franchise, and what did you <clears throat> think of this spin-off entry into it? It's so, I just keep thinking about contemplating how long we've lived with the franchise. Remember when these films used to be about illegal street racing? Yeah, when the biggest stunt they had was, we drove under a truck? Well, I mean, the first film is basically Point Break. Yeah. 
right? Yes. Um, my you you want to know my history with it? Um, uh, yeah, some general I, thoughts I, yeah. on on this franchise. I, yeah. I have a lot of affection for the franchise. I think you know, it's got this remarkable upward trajectory. It keeps topping itself. I mean, nothing subsequent has quite been as great for me as the scene in Fast Five involving dragging the bank vault through the streets. Mm-hmm. That that's, to me—that's correct. That's the correct opinion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's the best thing they've done. But what matters to me most is actually that, and I'll, I'll really firmly stand by this statement: is that I think it's the first, and as yet arguably the only Hollywood franchise that is genuinely post-racial. Um, mm. Yeah, it's casting, okay. its choice of directors, especially with the later films, um, it really does seem colorblind in its notions of who can be part of the metaphorical family that's so central to the movie's themes. And don't, don't get me wrong now, its gender politics leave a lot to be desired. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but when it comes to issues of race, it's a very progressive uh, so you, you could save money on your car insurance. It's so progressive, right? That's <laughs> that's that's Geico. That was amazing. And so, <laughs> so I think with this film, I think I think the film benefits from people's not having very high expectations, other than for it to be entertaining, which mm-hmm. is arguably a low bar, but it definitely delivers on that front, right? It's wildly entertaining and it's big and it's loud and ridiculous. And that kind of insulates the film from criticism because you, if you wanted more out of this, you've come to the wrong movie. So the brand is very predetermined at this point and you're, you're basically taking a James Bond film like a Mission Impossible and like the size, sci-fi premises of some Marvel movies and throw them into an idiot blender and you get this movie. And I don't think anybody's out, out there under the impression it's going to be different. That said, if you look at it, it works in a lot of ways as mindless summer entertainment. But if you look at Hobbs and Shaw as an extension of the Fast and Furious universe, I found it pretty disappointing. And I got to say, it made me really miss Vin Diesel. Because I think this is the movie that proves, if it wasn't already obvious, that Dom and all of his self-seriousness is actually the soul of the franchise. Um, Fast and Furious has been really successful, not just for his action, but because of how earnestly it, it really leans into its own melodrama. And so Hobbs and Shaw, as much as it tries to stay on brand by incorporating themes of family and loyalty and all that, um, I, I really couldn't escape the feeling that this film, because it's strictly built upon the comedic banter and personalities of two admittedly charming characters, it doesn't successfully carry with it the soap opera qualities that keep people so loyal to the core franchise. So, so. here's where I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, because I, and not, not that you're like wrong in what you're saying, I mean, whatever, it's opinions, but not that you're off track as far as what you're saying about what separates these two, but because I was embracing the fact that this is a spinoff of the Fast and Furious franchise, and because of that, I wasn't expecting to get a replication of the same themes from Fast and Furious. I love how much big language we're using for this series, by the way. Um, the the idea of having a level of soap opera melodrama going on based off around Dom's family and what he believes in and whatnot, I expect that in a movie called Fast and Furious, but this is a Fast and Furious Presents type film, the first of, I assume, many, and given the personalities that I knew were going to be a part of this film, I wasn't going in expecting that same kind of drama. I was expecting something that catered to what I've come to know about Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw. And to that extent, because my expectation was filtered through the guise of the most macho men around are getting their own movie to work with, I wasn't. I didn't feel disappointed in the fact that I wasn't getting that kind of familial connection that Dom has made so apparent in his films. They still brought an element of that because of what they try to incorporate as far as Shaw's family and Hobbs' family, but I still got the kind of goofy entertainment I was expecting on an action front in addition to a flavor of this franchise that feels separate from the kind of prime franchise that I've come to know. But but isn't that 
that's where I feel the this film is having its cake and eating it too, because it is trying to replicate some of the the core Fast and Furious stuff by making it so much about family. I I don't disagree with both characters, right? I don't disagree, and we'll talk more about that. But I want to get to Jose. Yes. What were your thoughts on the film? Uh, overall, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I, I agree with with both of you, even though you're sort of disagreeing with each other, um, if that's possible. Uh, I, I thought that this movie is like really silly and, and really ridiculous and, and a lot of the plot and just everything that happens. Um, and it embraces that. Um, and even though it sort of like drags a little too long and all that, I still enjoyed it just tremendously. Um, I think there's a lot of really, really fun stuff in here. There's a lot of good cameos. Um, there's some interesting action that's sort of inventive, even if it's not always like shot or presented great. Um, I think Vanessa Kirby is a really good addition to the, to the universe. And I, so you guys sparked this thought in me that like the you mentioned the melodrama and all that and, and the Fast and the Furious movies sort of have evolved into this like long gestating like telenovela basically where it's like people <laughs> die and they come back to life and there was like people <laughs> yeah, in the sixth yeah, one amnesia amnesia exactly yeah yeah, yeah. This, that's a great like, way to characterize it I never yeah, thought of it yeah, exactly enough, right? and and if and if the main franchise is like this crazy telenovela I think this uh, first spinoff is like a weird live action like anime spinoff where like there's like cyborgs and like a, a freaking motorcycle that drives itself and like but and and then people end up fighting like with I don't know like Samoan like traditional weapons it's this crazy thing um, and, and overall I enjoyed it a lot I think it has some issues but uh, I, I'm really interested to see how and assuming this movie is successful how you spin off the rest of the um, I want to see other corners of this universe now. You know, I, I want to see like Aza Gonzalez is like apparently all female, like heist troop. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see that movie and get like Devin Aoki back, have her join them, like said it five years ago and have, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Wonder Woman come back and be in that movie too. Like you can do whatever you want now, basically. And I think that that'll be really interesting to see moving forward. Well, that's what I'm trying to understand with Mike and your perspective on this, because I, I can feel you as far as if you're not enjoying this because of a, a, a version of a, a flavor of this movie that you get because of what Fast and Furious presented, that's fine. But if we're making spinoffs, shouldn't that dictate having different like genres within the film franchise where like a Hobbs and Shaw movie is going to be even crazier and bigger because it's about two alpha males and like a movie about if they made a Roman and Tej movie, it'd be more of a straight up comedy with less going on as far as the fan. Like, does that make sense? It does. I, I feel like ultimately, and we do joke about how the how on the nose Fast and Furious is mm-hmm. about the importance of family and whatnot. And you're right that if they if they want to go in a different direction, they've definitely succeeded. But I think it it ends up being a little less interesting to me because when it comes down to it, in this version, Hobbs and Shaw they're really just mercenaries for hire. And it, I mean, I, I'm Shaw, sure you noticed. Know, yeah. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, I mean, I'm sure you noticed how many times they just openly talk about, oh, we're saving the world again, and how blasé they are about the stakes, right? And the melodrama of the core franchise, <clears throat> which is where I think those films succeed, is even though they're preposterous, is that there's a sense that the personal stakes and the unity of the surrogate family is often as of equal importance to whatever giant terrorist plot is going on. And I feel like this new film doesn't really earn our investment. Um, partly because it's at a deficit because the other family we care about is the one that they built over eight films. But structurally, I think it's just a buddy film. It's really just about two indestructible guys, like the two greatest expendables and their adventures together if they did an offshoot. And so 
this is where it it's not my complaint isn't just that it doesn't align much with the main franchise i think mm -hmm. it does that it departs from it in a way that feels less interesting to me Huh. That's fair, and I don't I don't disagree with you there because I do like as much as I had fun with this movie, I would say, like I, as far as like on a quality level, I think there's more to be desired. I don't I don't disagree there, and I I think if we're if we're kind of shaking out you know what we need to work on for the next few spinoffs, like this is a movie that's certainly testing that by putting in two very likable stars, <laughs> so it's going to still be entertaining no matter what, but you still have to kind of. If they're if we're gonna turn this into an MCU universe at this point and make different kinds of movies set within it, you gotta like test the waters and see what's happening. But before we keep going on that front, Abe, where are you with this movie? That feels like it's gonna go crazy if they go MCU style here. I mean, I'd be curious to see who's gonna play Thor. I mean, I mean they kind of like, already did with Tokyo. Well, it, seems, it seems like everyone's right. gonna be able to play Thor because everyone's super jacked. But <laughs> uh, with all that being said, I I would say that uh, Fast and the Furious, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, you know, I I, I like it. Or liked it, and I thought that it presented some itself with some good humor and good quality of humor, um, as the two of them banter back and forth about how much they hate each other, uh, and then you get into other aspects of the movie where you have to deal with you know the bad guy and him trying to take over the world and or him being like almost like an eco terrorist type thing, and I I think that the movie kind of loses some of its steam when it does get into things that aren't Hobbs and Shaw and. I'm not going to say that Vanessa Shaw and Idris Elba aren't great. I think that they, they actually bring a lot to what they have to do in this movie. But other uh, other aspects of it, just like the Rock's extended family or, you know, the Rock's nuclear family right now. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really need to have this much backstory on Luke Hobbs, who is seemingly a side character in the entire uh, universe. But now he's the main focus. And then you also get more about Deckard Shaw and his life growing up, including these grainy flashback videos. And I was like... I thought this guy was a bad guy. Like just two movies ago, he's like one of like the worst guy. He kills on. Yeah, uh, and, and then the last movie, he yep. miraculously helps everyone out, and then he becomes part of the family for yeah, some reason. And, and I was like, wait a minute, am I supposed to feel better about this? Uh, you know, I, I don't know when this takes place. I'm going to presume that it's after all the events of. It's very clearly guess, after Fate of the Furious. Fate. Yes, yeah. it's it's the, the most Furious. recent of films in the timeline of this universe. Right. Yeah, so as you go now. through the movie, it's it's you know it's fun and it's energetic and it's like literally like a thirteen year old's like wet dream kind of thing. It's like oh everybody who's got big muscles and let's go and like save the world for the fourth time. Um, a lot of that stuff happens, and then you get to the part where he's got to go to Samoa, and I was like checking my clock or my watch, and I was like, this is a long movie. <laughs> this is like I, I was I was kind of expecting them to get to that place a little bit before the action sequence at, you know, this uh, this Chernobyl-type thing. But I was thinking to myself, if this movie had been in and out, like in an hour and 50 minutes, maybe even just two hours long, I would have been like, this is actually a really super fun movie. But, but the more that it drags itself on, the more I'm just like, I don't know, it feels like they're trying to make all the movies into one, like all the Hobbs and Shaw-type movies into one. Let's just see if all of it works, because if we don't get a second chance, then we would have put everything that we wanted to into one movie. And to me, that's where it kind of fails, is just... You've given me too much of a good thing, to be honest. Like it's mind numbing and it's like ridiculous entertainment. But I really would have enjoyed it if it was a little bit shorter. And uh, if it, if you guys focus a little bit more just on how and Shaw, how much they hate each other and what they have to do at hand, uh, that would have been really fun. But otherwise, you get a lot of like ins and outs, action sequences that are have like very little repercussions. Uh, and on the whole, it's like it it gets a little monotonous toward the end. I'll say this. I don't disagree that the movie's way too long. It is way too long. It doesn't need to be over two hours, but here we are. 
at the same time, I actually like the Samoa stuff quite a bit, so I just wish they got there I, faster. I do too. I, yeah. I, the, the whole Moscow stuff, like, something about the action, every major action scene would be, like, the climax of any other movie. So it's just, like, there's so much, like, this movie... Yeah. It reminded me a lot of, like, Bad Boys 2, where, like, every shot is a trailer shot. Like, that's what this movie feels like. And But because of that, you get a lot of, all of this is big where else do we go from here type so that's why it feels dragging because it's like you've gone so far how do you how do you keep that kind of momentum going if you're already at the top from the start of the movie and i really felt that especially in the beginning because we're trying to like introduce these guys and show show like what their what their deal is and Mm -hmm. at the same time it has to like wrap in a whole bunch of exposition which is what i think part of the cameos are for it feels like there's another version of the opening 30 minutes of this movie that was maybe either too confusing or just too terrible. And they're like, all right, let's use this person as duct tape to just completely clear out the exposition right away and then just get to the get to the action. And I feel like the movie suffers because of that, because you have, like, you introduce Idris Elba, you introduce Vanessa Kirby, and it's like, okay, like, there's all this stuff being thrown at me. Let's get to the Hobbs and Shaw or, like, dicks to each other stuff. And they eventually get there. It's like, all right, cool. I'm on, the, I'm on track with this now. Right. But then it just, it like, it keeps going, and you get to Moscow, and it takes forever for that action sequence to end, and it's like, all right, now we're going to Samoa, and there's a, and I like the stuff there, but it's like, I've already been kind of exhausted about what's going on, but what do you guys think? Mike, where, where are you with it? <clears throat> well, I think, and maybe this this certainly echoes what I was saying earlier about finding it a little bit tiresome and, and cliched, and maybe it echoes what, uh, what Abe was saying, is that part of the dynamic that makes it interesting that they're pairing these two actors is you've got the rock who represents American muscle in contrast to Shaw, who's like the sleek Englishman, James Bond type. And they occasionally incorporate the differences in their fighting styles to build their characters. So Mm -hmm. Shaw is more of a tactician and a martial artist while Hobbes is all about brute force, right? He's like a tank. And that's a great way to distinguish the two personalities through action. But I feel these these distinctions really get lost on the whole, especially when they introduce the more fast and furious on-brand stuff about family, because they begin to push the notion a lot that the two guys have a lot more in common than they initially realized, (laughs) because they're given identical backstories, which is that they both in the past made decisions that have alienated them from their family members, and they need to make peace with that. So what you end up with is not two men with different skill sets who learn to take advantage of those differences in order to work together effectively. What you get are two guys who are fundamentally the same person who simply can't get along. And that's inherently less interesting, yo. Well, yeah, and no, and Mike, not, also, if you forgot, if you forgot that they have to work together, they literally say in the last fight that they've got to work together. It's amazing how the, the, right. the solve for all of their problems is, oh, we should just work together. Like, it's like, it's such it's a, teamwork. Yeah. Yeah, I got but your back. I got your back, man. Like we could have, Again, we could have ended this movie a lot earlier. Years old, you don't understand the themes. Yeah, tell you. And, and meanwhile, the entire I'm time, just yeah. thinking to my, the whole time, I'm just thinking to myself, kiss, kiss, kiss. Would <laughs> <laughs> be great but, if they were the love interest in the movie. Yeah. But Mike, I, I hear that what you're saying. My, I mean, my fan fiction, but you know, it's not a, it's not an oil and water thing. It's just these two guys are very similar, but they just don't get along very well. Ooh, problems. Like it's not, it's not the most yeah. complex of backstories. And even when it comes, maybe you're talking about the backstories of each character, like for giving, but giving that both of these guys have been supporting roles in the previous Fast and Furious films, I expected to get like more of what's going on here. But at the same time, on Statham's end. He's 20 years older than Vanessa Kirby, yet they show flashbacks and they're like both kids at the same time, <laughs> same which is age. kind of hilarious. <laughs> and, 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 you know, this is something we talked about. 
yeah, this is something we're talking about like pre-recording, but I'd like to talk about it now. Where is Luke Evans in all these flashbacks? Like, where is Owen Shaw? Yeah, it's a justice for Justifer Owen. That's what we need to get going here. At justice, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Owen. But, I mean, but um, I mean, maybe yeah. they'll explain it in a later film. Exactly. <laughs> like these timelines will crisscross like a, yeah, the timelines will crisscross like a Saw movie. I mean, I want to ask was, you guys. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't finish my because the, so we have the Shaw side, but then you have the Hobbs side of things where it's like, okay, now he has a whole family backstory, yes, which is really trying to tap into the Fast and Furious brand. <laughs> and I, again, I like that stuff. It's it's just like it takes it. It's such an easy route as far as like his daughter shows him a family tree, and it's like it's so empty. What do we do? It's like, well, this is where's where's this gonna go? With it? it, it's it's very paint by numbers character development stuff. All of that said, the the Hobbs we get in this movie, the Dwayne Johnson role, as far as the acting goes, he's not the Hobbs we met in the previous Fast and Furious movies. This is a very toned down version of Hobbs, like the, and to that extent, it's like, well, Dwayne, so he's not really acting at this point. This is just like Dwayne Johnson doing his kind of improv shtick of like, I'm a big guy and I say things that are kind of funny to other people, and Jason uh-huh. Statham, you know, he's. I like Jason Statham, but there's never been much range to Jason Statham as far as his kind of action role persona goes. So it's just like, these two guys are themselves in this movie now, where I actually like the kind of over-the-top macho-ness of Hobbs, which is, feels like it's been softened up this time around. I, I know what you mean there. And and honestly, this is actually um, a criticism that I had in the movie, where they border so closely on these things being parodies of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they get so close to Statham being the, the spy version of Jason Statham. And they border so close on Dwayne Johnson being like the the self aware Dwayne Johnson kind of thing. And I was kind of mad that the movie didn't go in a direction that was like, hey, let's make fun of the uh, of our of ourselves. And I was like, I guess that they can't because What's I just that? read an article this past week saying that they have punch counters and everyone wants to be like the most macho. <laughs> but this is a bummer because we just talked about Stuber like not too long ago. And what's good about that movie is that they talk about these stupid things, right? They're like, hey, you're a big Dave Batista macho guy, but you don't have to be. And you know what? You're really alienating everybody because you are. And those are things that I, I was like, if this movie was a little bit more self-aware or if they made it in that way of like a 21 Jump Street type thing, I was like, this movie would have been one of the best movies of the summer. Yeah, but that wouldn't help it in my eyes because then it'd be – I agree. We're, I agree. Already, talking about, it, it we're already talking about the Fast and Furious brand, brand. Then it'd be like, yeah. okay, now we're just like completely out of nowhere at this point. It's like it's, yeah. it's, it's I, I agree with you that it, it doesn't stay on brand, but I was like, you know, if they really want – like I think the larger problem that I had with this is that we've seen this movie before. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, we've seen like the Fast 8, Fast 6, and Fast 7, uh, Furious, all the whatever. But the thing is like I was kind of hoping that as big and dumb as this movie is – I was like, maybe they would take a different direction with it, and they don't, and that's uh, that's a bummer because I think that there's actually a lot to work uh, with here, especially given that you have like real actors like like uh, Idris Elba and uh, Vanessa Kirby, um, and then you also have people that that actually are given at one glimpse uh, enough range for them to to give some emotion, like you know the, you get one scene with The Rock doing his emotional thing, and then you get one scene with Deckard Shaw doing his emotion thing, and I was like. I, I kind of like that you guys gave him real acting chops here, but that's like 20 seconds in like a two-hour and 20-minute movie. I will speak up for the Samoa Hobbs stuff because like there is family members he gets involved with that I do think genuinely work. Like I think that the <laughs> the um, the forgiveness that he's going for with one character I think is like, well, this is a nice moment. 
And, and by the way, if we want to talk about screen presence, the the mother Hobbs in this movie, she oh. has more screen presence yes. than every one of these characters combined. Like just the, she steps on yep. screen, berates her sons, like it's just like a full authority. And it's right. like, yeah, okay, this is like it's a flip flop. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But, but, you got the... Between that and, like, the extended montage of all of them doing stuff, like, I'm into this 80s movie that we just, like, stepped into for the finale here. Like that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's interesting because for a film that's so much about, you know, these meatheads going at it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about muscle and everything. It's got these really fascinating matriarchal characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so Helen Mirren on one side yeah. and the, the Samoan mom on the other. Um, that's kind of interesting. Um I, I do want to step in, though. Am I the only one, because you're all sort of expressing admiration for this sequence, am I the only one who has a big problem with the Samoa part? I damn near lost my mind. In, in, in terms in what of, way? like, feeling like it, it's cultural appropriation on the screen? I, I found it shockingly offensive and regressive in its portrayal of Native people, and no one else felt this way? No, I, I did. Those thoughts did cross my mind, too. And I was like, yeah. it, it feels like, uh, you know, the Rock is, like, playing off of this, this Samoa uh, background story. And I was like, I don't know if this is like the most appropriate uh, movie for it to be in, but hey, I was like, I, well, I dig this much more than the other things because it brought more character development to Luke yeah, Hobbs. Yeah, so that's that's not the part I'm objecting to, the family yeah, yeah. dynamic. What I have a problem with is that there's a, I guess, pre-montage, 80s montage, The mm-hmm. The Rock, so Hobbs assumes that they have an arsenal of weapons ready for a standoff, and they don't. So instead, they decide they'll have to fend off this paramilitary force with clubs and spears instead of saying, well, that's not going to work. And we'll make do because the spirits of our forefathers will guide us or some shit. And this association of native peoples with nature and the land and spirits and the suggestion that this is the source of their power is a centuries old colonialist trope because it it basically denies non-European communities their modernity. And I just I couldn't believe that this franchise, which, as I mentioned earlier, I, I really think does interesting and cool things about issues of racial diversity would rely on this kind of lazy ethnic stereotype. I found it really unforgivable. And just because The Rock is there to lend a sympathetic face to an ethnic stereotype doesn't make it any less of a stereotype. It's the kind of thing where I, I hear what you're saying. It's it's the, it's at a point where in a franchise like this, and not necessarily because of the Fast Furious franchise, but just like a big action, a big dumb action movie where you have The Rock who is a producer on this movie and he has like, he has Roman Reigns in there and he has other mm-hmm. Samoan at like they're the fact that everyone's contributing to something like this makes me think that there's a level of understanding that they seem to have come to that makes it okay for them. So it's something that I'm just not putting in my mind as a distraction to me. Cause I don't disagree with what you're saying yeah. at the same time. I don't think they. I don't think these actors are stupid. I don't think that they looked at this and were like, this is hundred percent fine or what have you. I think they have whatever thought that they had as far as the spirit of what they're trying to do here, they had they held it in good intentions. If that's not enough for some people, that's completely fair. Obviously, yeah. The, the, optic, the optics around that can obviously be distracting. But uh, for, for me, I'm just I'm giving a lot of benefit of the doubt, just be, basically because the movie's pretty dumb already. <laughs> right. I'm happy to go on the record. To well, say and, and, it's not all right. Yeah, I think like the entire conceit of this sequence is that Samoans are huge and burly and they're deadly with spears. I mean, come on, my dude. Like, how are they any different from the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi at this point, you know? Mm. So I, I feel like it's akin to saying you're paying tribute to, let's say, Asian cultures by showing how good they are at math and then turning around and saying, what? It's a compliment. I'm really disappointed by this but whole... It's not like it hasn't been established previously as far as, like, Hobbs doing a haka with his soccer team in The Fate of the Furious. Like, it's... They're, 
what whatever he's whatever the whatever Dwayne Johnson's trying to do as far as embrace his Samoan heritage, like he's going at it in a certain way. I don't need to necessarily agree with it, but I don't think I don't think he's I don't think he's I don't think he's outwardly trying to to like offend people in the way he's choosing to put no, Samoan culture in there. Of course not. That's not. I'm not suggesting that anybody's intentions weren't good. It's just um, there's a, an easy availability of these sort of historical stereotypes that people tend to traffic in because they're available, not because right. they you know they have bad intentions. Has he addressed this at all in interviews? Do you know? I haven't looked as I don't deeply think as I so. would. I haven't, I haven't seen I, it. I'd be curious, curious. Just, especially because of Moana, obviously. Honestly, I, I, I'd be curious how much he's actually talked about this in interviews as far as his own culture goes and why he's embraced both this aspect of his character for this franchise as well as taking on a role like like uh, Maui and Moana. Maui. Yeah. Right. And but also, you're going to say something? Well, I was just going to say that it does ride this like this line where I, I, I do agree with, with a lot of what you're saying, uh, Mike. And, and but, but you also have at the same time, like they, they take this like, what I is this sort of you know assumed to be this crazy uh, contraption that's like extracting this crazy virus, and they're like the one guy who can fix it is his brother, right? And and even though you do have a lot of that, uh, I would call it problematic imagery that you're describing. Um, there's still also this guy's like a master mechanic. They're, they're building all these cars. They have. A, I think there's a little bit more there than just some of that, some of those stereotypes. And, and I think for me that helps balance that out. Um, and I hadn't, but I hadn't really fully considered the the way it, the, the portrayal that that you're describing. And um, I do appreciate that, and I uh, uh, I totally get where you're coming from. But I do think there's a little bit more going on there than than just the I, I don't know what else to call it other than like you're saying like a stereotypical, almost like a shorthand, right? It's it's like a shorthand that maybe because it's supposed to be a shorthand mm-hmm. leans ends up being. Um, more of like a stereotype, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. And let me let me concede too mm-hmm. that underneath the sort of kind of native imagery of that. Underneath that, they actually have a really sophisticated technological operation going on, right? So you're, you're totally correct there. Um, All right. Well, I I appreciate this aspect of the discussion of the film. I want to keep moving on to other things. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked we've talked about uh, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. What do you think of the other additions to the cast? We have Idris Elba here as Black Superman himself, Brixton Lore. I, I, yeah. So I want to talk about that real quick because they call him he, he, in the trailer. He says he's Black Superman. To be honest, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham also never get hurt. So I don't understand why well, they get hurt by they get hurt by him. <laughs> they get hurt by him, but nobody is in, ever in danger because I know that they're going to be the heroes. So I, I like Jason. I like you. Just Elba is my point. I, I, I do like the way that he brings like this like menace to the character, and I also like that there's some sort of like weird backstory, even though that backstory was super on the nose. But I overall, I did like him as uh as like this uh, f- front man for this I, weird secret organization. Yeah, like a specter for one time. <laughs> <laughs> I um. <laughs> I'll just say, because I want you guys to speak on it as well, but I'll just say, I think Idris Elba is both terrifying in this movie and terrible at his job. Like, he, he, is, <laughs> he is an effective villain as far as he can certainly take people in a fight, but as far as what he's trying to accomplish, he should have been fired right away. Like, he had one thing to do, and he messed that up, and then he can't kill two guys, and he continues to lose every opportunity to get the exact goal that he's going for. He is terrible at his position and as, like, number one bad guy in the bad guy organization that's <laughs> actually trying to save the world. Uh, right. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, yeah, people do get hurt, because 
that's a pretty loose uh, description in this film. You've got people who are like, oh, I'm so sore from having been smashed through that wall, you know. Right. But that that I, car didn't break my fall as well as I thought it would right. initially. Or, or me jumping out <laughs> of like the 30th tomorrow. story of a building on a rope and just using no gloves, my hands are okay. So actually, I think <laughs> Idris is the best thing in the movie. He looks like he's having tons of fun. He's yeah. actually really menacing, and he's got yeah. a great Sings look. on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he raps in the credits. I mean, he has a great look, too. That motorcycle jacket slash armor is, yeah. is pretty cool. I mean, I guess having a bulletproof jacket maybe owes a little too much to John Wick. But I just I kept thinking I wanted to see a different movie about Idris Elba's character, like going about his daily business with those robot eyes. Fast like, like, presents Brixton Lore. Yeah, like going fall. out on dates, going out on dates. Like it auto calculates the <laughs> probability of when he's asking people out, you know, like rejection imminent, you know, like wanted to see. <laughs> and then he punches her in the face. I mean, what kind of movie we're we talking about here? This sounds bad. It sounds on brand, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jose, what do you, you think um, of Idris Elba here? Yeah, I, I liked him a lot. Um, he obviously has a lot of uh, screen presence. Um, I think he's perfect for this role, right? Because he it's funny because there's so much exposition happening and at the same time they're trying to they've tried to cut out it seems like a lot of it like mm-hmm. at the same time like oh it yeah like, I know what like, like what what nano machines are like it doesn't matter he has superpowers like what there's all this stuff that gets cut out and somehow we still have you know a two and a half hour movie but yeah. um <laughs> he, he just comes in he's chewing scenery like he, he doesn't have a lot to do in terms of uh heavy lifting like on the emotional side of the of the movie but yeah, he looks cool. He's very menacing. Um, he, he he does a lot with his face. He he gets a lot of close-ups, um, either when they're like injecting him or when he's monologuing or whatever. And, and I just really really enjoyed him. Yeah, he he earned his paycheck. I, I just want to also sure. say that one of my favorite uh, exposition sequences uh, for Idris Elba is when they've gone through this like city town chase. And then it's they've they're escaped, and all of a sudden you see the the three of them in a car against a green screen, and that's when the exhibition of who Idris Elba's character is. It's like <laughs> I just saw an entire action sequence about this guy. It's like I really don't need exposition. I know that he's the bad guy. He says it in his first line. It's amazing that he says he's a bad guy, yet the plot is about how he's fronting an organization that's trying to save the world by right. like, so killing weird, all of it. Like, technology Another... ecoterrorism. Yeah. Yeah. I. I it... What do you guys think of this? Because we've moved, we seem to have moved past drones, even though there aren't drones in this movie. But as far as drones being like a major plot point for sci-fi slash action movies, that was a big thing for a good while. Now we're on this kick of basically environmental terrorism, like is in, in for the sake of saving the world. Because we have Thanos and Godzilla, and now this movie. It, it, does that register to you guys? Is like this is the way we should go with these things right now? Is that what Hollywood should be tackling? I mean, they did it perfectly in uh, Point Break, the remake already, so there's no need to make any more. I mean, that was that was the, obviously the initial launching point that everyone saw. <laughs> uh, a real honest answer is like, I don't really know if this is the way that we should go. I mean, obviously, we can't we can't have war with the Russians anymore, like in the 80s, and you can't have like threats of nuclear destruction, uh, like in the mid- early 90s with Terminator 2 kind of thing. Um, and then AI has kind of been done. Because now we're using AI to be laced with humans, like the way that Idris Elba is. So I really don't know where they're going to go with the way that uh, you'd you'd present a large-scale terrorist or anti-terrorist organization, however they see themselves. I think in the context of the, because part of our discussion is has centered around whether this movie works 
as a standalone film versus uh, the extent to which it belongs mm-hmm. within the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, for one thing, like <clears throat> the to me the the only action scene that unambiguously felt like it belongs in a Fast and Furious movie was the final car chase scene against the helicopter. And uh, like ultimately, sure. yeah, all of these movies are about vehicular ridiculousness, I guess. And the most inventive aspects of the series is about pushing the limits of what kind of stunts you can perform with cars. And I think the series as a whole gets weaker when it generates these science fiction premises. And what bothered me most is what I think, someone else mentioned it that, that in tone that they liked it, but I think what distracted me was the addition of a truly distracting new vehicle, which is Idris Elba's motorcycle. It's this shape-shifting... <laughs> Murder cycle? Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah, this, it's like, a, it's a transformer, basically, right? Pretty and much, I, it's got the noises. Yeah, yeah I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I felt that that bike distracted from the realism of the franchise because there's something there's something really tangible and grounded about these giant muscle cars and the franchise is generally good about making the cars feel like they exist in physical space even when they're defying the laws of physics like I, you can feel the weight and you can you can feel the tires skidding and even when they're making impossible turns because their movements are determined by their size and shape and having a shape-shifting smart bike just feels like it's from another universe and so i feel like that's yeah, you know, that's the stuff that I'll, excites me less and less. I'll say this. First off, the murder cycle, as we've been dubbed it now, which is perfect, um, is about as essential to this movie as the shield is to Captain America. So I'll see I'll see no more no more uh, ill will <laughs> no thrown towards yeah. murder cycle, sir. Uh, but besides that, <laughs> if I'm already getting Idris Elba as a villainous cyborg, like I don't care what kind of weapons he has. The movie's already like or whatever vehicles at his disposal. I hear what you're saying as far as the tangibility with the action sequences or whatnot, and we should speak more about that in a second as far as David Leach's direction goes. But if we're already giving me Idris Elba as like unstoppable kill machine who's bulletproof and Black Superman and all that, it's like we've I've already I know what my limits are as far as disbelief goes for the laws of physics when it comes to this franchise. Like I have a setting for that, and I again it speaks to me going into this movie with my expectation. Or I'm I'm not gonna get that same kind of thing that I get that I get in the Fast and Furious films. I'm gonna get the Hobbs and Shaw brand of that. Right, this train so, station. Yeah. So it's like I'm not I'm not saying that the movie's perfect because of it, but I my the things I dislike about this movie don't st- don't stem from the kind the tone that this thing is trying to go for based off the the premise to begin with. Mm. Did anybody else find yeah. it confusing why Idris Elba is the only bad guy with the implants? He was like a test, I believe. Is well, it, it feels as though everyone else sort of had minor upgrades too, because he says yeah. at one point, you know, this is where you earn your upgrades. So you, yeah, he, he's yeah. like, and all those guys die. Spoiler: he's been, he's been meddling. He, he, he's been metal. He's been leveling up. Oh, he's most. part metal. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but he's also he's, he's the only one up. who prestiged. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. I, in the next one, I just need them to go. I, I need him dragged out of the ocean. I need him to go full gizmo duck, where like the bottom half of his body is just <laughs> his like wheels. Motorcycle. He doesn't have legs anymore. <laughs> yes, that is the Hobbs and Shaw sequel. That we need. Um, but you know, uh, no, I mean, I, I do, I do kind of. A, I was happy, at least, Mike, that that motorcycle was not in the final um, action sequence, and we had just that action it's with like the cars. It's Brixton and the bike fighting Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> he needed a teammate. See, this he was outnumbered. And so he yeah, needs back. If the bike showed up and like little arms popped out of the sides, like right, let's just go like, get a Brixton. <laughs> Hobbs Shaw punching the bike <laughs> in slow motion. You see, if it went that level of ridiculousness, I'd be like, I am all on board here. 
Um, <laughs> before we move on to the direction, uh, I know, I know uh, Vanessa Kirby was the other major addition as far as the actors go as um, sis, another another Shaw family member. Did yeah. you guys appreciate what she brought to the franchise? They certainly I did. Didn't, they yeah, didn't, they didn't have her. They, they, as much as they damseled and distressed her, they still had her kind of basically breaking out any chance she got as well. Right. I mentioned it earlier. I mean, I, I did appreciate that what she and Idris Elba were able to do with like the, the lines that they were given in the script. I think that they brought like a, a, a weightiness to it. I mean, there are times that here where she's got to give an emotional performance and she does it. She does a pretty good job about just thinking about things that are going to happen or things that may have happened in the past already. So I, I appreciated her being here. And also uh, I agree with you that as much as she's, uh, you know, quote unquote, in that position of Dan's own distress, she does break her way out of it 100 percent of the time. And she rescues them a few times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, I mean, I, I, I still stand by my my fan fiction, which is that <clears throat> you know the uh, the franchise does need of a woman as a potential love interest to break all the obvious sexual tension between Hobbs and Shaw. So, you know, <laughs> good, good good on her to good that they include her. Let's see. Okay, let's let's talk about David Leach's what he's adding to this franchise. Sure. He's he's coming off of um, John Wick, the first one that he co-directed with Chad Schuhelski, mm-hmm. as well as Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2 from last summer. And it seems like there was a lot of downtime in the downtime in the Deadpool 2 set to um, <laughs> have people involved in this movie. But with that in mind, um, I'll just say I think his limitation here comes from attaching to a franchise that's PG-13. It doesn't bother me as far as ratings go, as far as what we're able to accomplish or what have you, but I do think that there's something about what he's able to provide in a fight sequence or whatnot that comes standard issue when you have R ratings versus a PG-13, where you you just have to do more edits because you can't show certain impacts, you can't show certain things. And for a series like this, where the action's typically quite good, I felt like he seemed a little out of step with how to deliver on big guys punching each other, like, in in the way you're showing it and how you're editing it. Like, so it... For me, the action on that front, it kind of it it, it it felt short on in that level. I agree with you 100 percent because I I felt as though David Leach I think he's a good action director because we saw John Wick, but the thing is like it really hurts that some of these people don't know how to fight. But also he was really hampered by the editing because there's so many cuts like in all of the action sequences. I remember counting one part where I was like. In this 30-second sequence, I've seen, like, 19 cuts already, and it's all, like, just two actors fighting back and forth. And it's really jarring when you watch that on film because you get a sense that, you know, everybody that was around me in my theater, they were enjoying the action sequence and seeing the fight. But honestly, it's, like, the one of the best action sequences that uh, you could have done was when Jason Statham is in his sister's apartment, and Jason Statham is a karate guy. He is, like, black belt in karate. You should have shot that one wide, and the way that they use the colors is totally John Wick style. That one really would have worked, but otherwise, like I think that it is hampered by what you described as PG-13 style action. Um, and then also the editor in this, like I don't know what that day I was thinking because some of the stuff is just like ridiculous. Yeah, has anyone looked up the production notes or anything like that? I asked because I couldn't be bothered, but there's something clearly off <clears throat> about the third act. It's really choppy. Right, the the battle at the end with the Samoans. I mean, there's a helicopter that appears out of nowhere, and the scenery changes <laughs> from bright and sunny to like rainfall all of a sudden. And the ending. Well, they did up, mention that it was a pre-dawn raid, and yeah, it was a pre-dawn raid, and also it was gonna like have a thunderstorm later. Yeah, yeah, they they, esta- they established the. <laughs> did they? Well, well, yeah, they did. They established okay, that well, they were coming I'll, right I'll, before I'll, dawn. Like, before, yeah. before, but like the visual transition is still very disorienting. I feel like the end, the ending, it's all very abrupt. And it's it's highly disorganized. I thought. I will say. Oh, I will say yeah. the ending is certainly abrupt. I will. As far as 
the action goes in the third. I will say because they're shooting in jungles and they filmed in Hawaii, not Samoa. Um, and I kind of knew that again. And then I watched the credits I'm like, oh, of course, this isn't Samoa. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> when they're in watching those sequences, I'm like, well, if you, yeah, it's a lot easier to make action scenes in dirty gray Moscow abandoned nuclear site than it is to make like jungles come to life. So it's like I just from a visual perspective, like I get why it could feel jarring. And yeah, there's a lot of, we need, there's a lot of things that are being accomplished at the end. I'll just say, and how long it takes for those things to happen versus how much time left we have in the movie where it just, yeah, it feels like a bit of a jumble to kind of finally get us to an end of an end point in this film. No, versus, I mean, mm-hmm. not for nothing. It, what it does have is the rock, keeping a helicopter in place by yanking on a chain with one arm. So there's that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I was thinking to myself, if they really went for this and his arm got ripped off, I'd I'd, I'd stand up and applaud this movie right now. I'd be like, that is the most realistic thing I've seen in this movie. And he becomes cybernetic for the future. That's what I was thinking. He becomes the Winter Soldier. I'll add this. I mean, compared to to Leech's other, the other films he's worked on in the past couple of years, I mean, he's been doing summer movies nonstop at this point, three Mm -hmm. years in a row. Um... There, you know, in Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde, there are fight scenes that last a while and feel, you know, dirty and gritty because you have actors that are actually there doing stuff, whether they're right. doing kind of whatever stunt work is involved or what. Here, I'm sure there were stunts. I'm sure there were drivers and what have you that, you know, put their lives on the line and all that. At the same time, there's so much fake looking stuff in this movie, even for yeah. a Fast and Furious movie. There's a lot of green screen. There's a lot of we're standing in front of this thing that's not really there type of thing. There's a lot mm-hmm. of cars that don't exist. I mean, the motorcycle, for one. I mean, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that just does not take place in reality here in a film that, Mike, like you said, I mean, I I agree with you. There's a, It's not Mission Impossible, but it's still like a grounded action franchise. There's still some level of plausibility or at least something that kind of anchors you to the fact that these are people and not superheroes. Where I disagree. I, but we've talked I know about that you, many times before. No, I, I know, but I'm not. I'm not saying that they're they're not defying the laws of physics to survive certain things. But the movie it does have a stance as far as what they're trying to show people doing compared to an actual superhero movie. It is trying to say we are people that are doing this stuff, and this feels like the least amount of that yet for a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, I agree with that, and also I think Abe really nailed it, which when he said. Um, <clears throat> when you said that, you know, if some of the, the action sequences had more wide shots or if the takes were longer, right? And I, I don't know what kind of production constraints they had and, and what interventions the editor made, but given how choppy it is, I was really surprised that this came from a director who's associated with John Wick and Atomic Blonde because the best fight sequences in those movies are long take where you really see the, you can really see how this is a director who knows how to bring out the physicality of actors, you know, and and given how choppy some of the stuff is in this film, I thought uh, I was I was surprised. Was there any yeah. thoughts on David Leach, Jose? Um, I, I think you guys have covered most of it. Um, it, it is especially the the some some of the hand to hand uh fighting choreography is a little disappointing because like we've said, Jason Statham is a martial artist. We've seen him do stuff before in the transporter movies elsewhere. Um, The Rock obviously got started in you know sports entertainment. He, that's a guy who can take a hit, deliver hits, sell them. Um, and, and that's disappointing. Um, I do, I, I really personally did enjoy the last sequence with the, the, the sort of like Voltron, yes. uh, car <laughs> moment and, and, uh, and the helicopter, um, because that, that I think straddles that line of, of pl- plausibility, like we're talking about, right? It's, it's like this thing that's like, 
vaguely plausible if everybody was like the best driver in the world um and, and apparently just like there's random people all over the world who are like you know very high level drivers mm-hmm. um but but i enjoyed that sequence a lot um i think the very very final sequence we, we talked about is kind of silly that um and, and i'll say this again is a live action anime they, it was all solved by the power of friendship you know mm-hmm. they just they just <laughs> needed to, to team up <laughs> um but th- there are pockets where you can see a lot of the really really strong action chops and i think that makes some of the other stuff uh a little more disappointing. That's a great. That's a. That's a great way to sum it up. I agree. Well, with all that said, I think we've talked about this film plenty. Wait, wait, wait. Can I ask one quick question? Yeah, hit it. I'm wondering if anybody else was counting the number of fist bumps. I was film. not. There is a ton. That it's over thirty. Like during the 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 preparing for battle montage in Samoa, there's conservatively like five or six <laughs> fist bumps. Like that, manly, that one I did manly fist bumps. Yeah, this should be titled Fast and Furious Presents Manly Fist Bumps. Go back and watch it. You'll there are a lot. Let me know that I'm right. <laughs> when should people see this movie, Mike? Uh, if, uh, if you're not a devotee of the franchise, I'd watch it on an airplane, I guess. It's, I mean, right now, I think it's just too, there's too much great independent cinema out there that's worth supporting to divert your attention to this. So wait for it later. And go see The Farewell instead. Because they're practically the same movie anyway. They're both about family. <laughs> You're not wrong. Jose, what do you see this memory. movie? Um, I say catch a matinee and bring your, your best bro uh, and make a day of it. Abe? That's sweet. Uh, you know, all of this is not enough for you to go run out and see it in theaters right away. I think, again, you've seen this movie before. You're going to see it again. It's unfortunate that they didn't really do anything else with it that might have been of particular interest it's kind of upsetting because the the rock has been known to make fun of himself in stuff like uh central intelligence and whatever else do i Uh, I don't think he's not making fun of himself in some degree in this movie (laughs) i mean it's still like super big and macho and i'm gonna be the action i'm gonna be the star at the end of it kind of thing so he quotes nietzsche at one point and bruce lee Mm -hmm. um but with all that being said i would say that this is one of those things where you can kind of just like red box this I, I mean, a, a dollar theater works for me on this one. I, th- I think there's a lot. I think the 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 sum of the parts are better than the actual parts here. Uh, there 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 is fun to be had as much as we've kind of dissected the film. I think the movie delivers on exactly what I expected it to deliver on. Yeah, there's uh, a chop chop metaphor in here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know cars well enough to do it, but it does imply that this is a shared universe with the Italian Job remake, right? It it does to yeah. like it, one There's a mini part. at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, they they shouted out, and so like you know, F. Gary Gray directed that remake, so it all it all makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Dollar Theater. It, it I I think it delivers the fun that you kind of expect from Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, I I went in getting exactly what I kind of expected to, even if it's pretty dumb. Um, there you go. All right, well, with all that out of the way, let's move on now. Let's, uh, Abe, what uh, what time is it? Aaron, I think it's time for a cool game here. Let her know. In fact, that's actually the ringtone for The Rock's uh, cell phone in this movie. Yeah, of course. Um, that was, of course, the improv theme for games, and I have a game for you guys this week. It is called okay. Dream Teams. This is a series of questions that are all buddy movies, mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask you to identify cool. the movie. Uh, by and I'm going to I'm going to do that by giving you a clue that's a description of who these t- who the two pairings are for said film. Okay. If you, if you think you know the answer, say your name, and then the answer. 
Got it. Bonus bonus points if you know the names of the two people featured in each of these buddy films. Actors or, or character actor or the characters names. The character names. Ooh, that's tough. Okay. Yes. Here's, All right, here's, let's the, do this. here's the first one. He's a family man slash narcotics officer with a temper, and he's a ladies man slash narcotics officer with a little more height. Jose. Jose. Oh, you threw me at the end. Is this Tango and Cash? No. Um, you threw me at the end, and I realized I shouldn't have said my name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give a hint. The villain is a French bad guy. Uh, I feel like I know this, but I I, I can't think of it. I'll tell you. This do, is supposed to be the easy one. I know. Do, do you mind repeating the, the question one more time? Family man, narcotics officer, has a temper. Ladies man, narcotics officer has more height. Family man, narcotics officer, has more height. Nope. Family man, narcotics officer, has a temper. Ladies man, narcotics officer, has height. I'm going to be so mad when I hear the answer to this, because I can't think of it right now. Is it Mike? Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> is it Bad Boys? It is Bad Boys, yes. Damn it's it! Bad it's bad. Mike Lowry! <laughs> seems so weird. Especially when it said French bad guy. I mean... <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't remember Do you know... names, though. No. You don't know their... Abe, you know their names. <laughs> Uh, Mike Lowry and, uh, uh, well, Martin Short, Martin Lawrence. Marcus Burnett. <laughs> Marcus Burnett, yeah. Marcus Burnett. Here's the next one. Don't ever say I never saved your life. He's a suit-wearing <laughs> top cop of the west side of L.A. with a Cadillac, and he's a cowboy type of a Corvette from the east side. Abe. Abe. Lethal Weapon. Incorrect. Ooh. Uh... Why would Riggs drive a Corvette? Anyway. Uh, you know, when he's over there the by the ocean trailer, <laughs> thinking about his dead wife. You know he has a truck. Hmm, <laughs> who drives a Corvette? The clue here, the villain is Jack Palance. Oh, man. Huh. Uh, anybody? Mm, it ain't City Slickers, right? Okay, it's Tango and Cash. That's the answer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just said Tango and Cash, too. Yeah, I, I can know. remember that that was the yeah. bad guy. Their names are Tango and Cash. <laughs> yeah, which one's Tango? Tango one's Cash. Raymond Tango and Gabriel Cash. Uh, St- Stallone is Tango. Um, <laughs> here's the next one. He's a widowed private eye with a daughter and tends to scream, and he's a muscle for hire who enjoys yoo-hoos. Oh, Mike. Mike? Yeah, the yoo-hoos. That's uh, the nice guys. The nice guys is the correct answer. <sighs> yeah. That's a Aim cool. for the bushes? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's not the nice that's guys the at all. That's <laughs> the other guys. <laughs> you know the names by chance? Uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. That, yeah, that's go. what their names were, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Jackson Healy and Holland March. Here's the next one. He's a racist San Francisco cop of attitude, and he's a career criminal with a big mouth. Hey. Abe? 48 hours. 48 hours is the correct answer. Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Jack Cates <laughs> and Reggie Hammond. There you go. And the villains are James Remar and Billy from Predator. Really? <laughs> Sonny something or other. He, Sonny, he whatever his face is, yeah. yeah. Here's the next one. He's a bounty hunter looking to leave the business, and he's an accountant on the run with plenty of sarcasm. Oh, Mike. Mike? Is that Midnight Run? It is Midnight Run, that's correct. Mm. It's Jack Walsh. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know that. And John, Jonathan the Duke Mardukas. There he's you go. Duke. Here's the next one. She's a ditzy housewife married to the wrong guy, and she's a sharp-tongued waitress. Hmm. Sharp-tongued waitress. Buddy movies 
and I've used a movie that has two female characters. This should yeah. be very Jose? simple. Jose? Thelma and Louise? Thelma and Louise is the correct answer. I don't know their last names. <laughs> I want to say Thelma, Thelma, and Louise, Louise. <laughs> Mario, Mario. Dickinson and Louise Sawyer. Uh, pretty close. Here's the next one. The fastest hands in the East meet the biggest mouth oh, Jose. in the West. Jose? <laughs> Rush Hour. Rush Hour is the correct answer. And I want to end in Rush Hour 2, 3, and and maybe 4. Yep, yep, yep. This is Detective James Carter. Mm Mm-hmm. And what is he, Chief Inspector? Oh, I don't know his first name. Is Lee. Yes, it is. It's Yang Lee is his name. I was like, do you ever ever say that? Yeah, I don't think they ever say that. It's in the very detailed Wikipedia page for both characters, so it's in (laughs) there. Also, my impression of of, uh, Jackie Chan saying um, Carter is, Kata! Yeah. Uh, my room, my old college roommate and I watch Rush Hour two every year, once a year. Have you watched it recently? That should be its own podcast, by the way. We watched it last year. We haven't watched it this year yet. Okay. <laughs> it two has issues. <laughs> oh yes, it does. But, uh, we like bonded over that movie, and so for whatever reason, we watch that movie every year now. I like it. it didn't start out as like a planned thing, but it's it's fun. Here's the next one. He's a naive Texas stud. And he's a scruffy con man. Hmm. This is a best picture winner. Best picture winner? Oh, Mike. Mike. Is it Midnight Cowboy? It is Midnight Cowboy. That is correct. Oh, wow. Right, so that's uh, uh, Joe Buck and Ratso Risso. That's correct. Extra points. Yep, I'm putting it in there. Plus one. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that Mike's running away with this game. Well, I mean, everyone's talking at me, but I don't really hear a word you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. How dare he's you? He's a talkative outlaw leader, and he's a laconic deadeye. A laconic deadeye. Hmm. Outlaw leader. This is a best picture nominee. Oh my goodness! I believe. Let me make sure of that. A deadeye. The or... film these actors made after did win best picture. Can oh, I get a here, uh, Mike. Oh. Mike, yep. can I take a stab at it? Is it Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? It is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Damn it. Kid. That is correct. And for a bonus points, the characters are... <laughs> <laughs> do it! Go ahead, do it, Mike! Riggs and Murtaugh. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Danny, uh, Danny Glover impression. Riggs. <laughs> All right. good. Yeah. He's a grizzled and humorless special agent, and he's a quick-witted new recruit. Uh, Abe. Abe. Uh, point break. Incorrect. Mm. Give me, give me two meatball, meatball sandwiches. Like, that's not a buddy movie. I, know. I feel like that description matches so many buddy a movies. Lot of, a lot of movies. <laughs> he's a grizzled and humorless special agent, and mm-hmm. he's a quick-witted new recruit. Oh, I, I feel like I, I feel I like mean, I need to redo my answer. Could, is it Men in Black? Mike, it is Men or, in Black. Damn yes. it! I was like, damn <laughs> it, Stanley Jones. <laughs> it's either that or like Seven, you know? It matches so many uh, descriptions. Is Brad Pitt quick-witted in that movie? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman has some jokes, so <laughs> they do laugh a lot at the dinner scene where the they laugh a ton at that dinner scene. Yeah, <laughs> they're having the time of their life. Yeah, um, he's a veteran L.A. homicide sergeant, and he's a loose cannon widower. Jose, Jose, lethal weapon. It is lethal weapon. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> oh, do we need the names? It's uh, it's Martin Riggs mm-hmm. and Roger Murtaugh. That is correct. It's pretty good. Plus one. <laughs> I think it was his uh, I, fun fact, in front of me. That TV show, I was going to say, that TV show wasn't that bad. 
Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, you know, except for all like the racist shit that went on with the the actor behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, you know, apart from that. <laughs> here's here's the last one. He's a police investigator looking to transfer, and he's a French mastiff looking to take a bite out of crime. <laughs> Abe? <laughs> Abe? Turner and Hooch? Turner and Hooch is the correct answer. That's a sad movie. <laughs> Do you know the name? Uh, I want to say that uh, the officer's name is Turner, and the dog's <laughs> name is Hooch. Do you know the first name of the officer? I'll Jack? give you a hint. It, it, you, didn't say, you didn't stop for a hint. Uh, well, I'll Let's take the hint. Now. I was going to say it's a very white name. Uh, Jim. No. John. We have multiple guests with this name. Roger. Who is named Roger on our show? Uh, Scott. Scott is the right answer. Oh. <laughs> I was like, who's the whitest guy? No, Scott Mendel and Scott Mance. And Don't you guys have multiple Adams? Mendelssohn. We have What's a couple that? Adams. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that was my guess. Yeah. All right. There you go. Uh, Mike, you ran away with that game, so good job. Woo! Good job, Mike. Thank you, thank you. You got those plus ones and everything. <laughs> um, I had a bonus question in case there was a tie. Uh, I'd like to hear is, it anyway. What is Idris Elba's highest grossing film? Ooh, I want to oh. say that it is um, The is Jungle Book with Fabra. No. That oh. is his one, two, three, fourth highest grossing film. Really? Oh. <clears throat> it should be easy if you think about movies. Oh, um, <laughs> is it uh, Avengers Infinity War? It is Avengers Infinity War. I yeah. should have thought about movies more. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> probably probably should have uh, shut my mouth on that one. What What do you think is second highest grossing film? Avengers, uh, Thor Ragnarok? Ragnarok is his one, two, three, four, five, sixth highest grossing film. Not the second one. The second uh-huh. one is his seventh highest grossing film. Is it? Pacific? The, the first one is his eighth highest grossing film. <laughs> I was going to say the box office, Behemoth, The Dark Tower. <laughs> it's uh, you won't get this. It's Finding Dory. It's he was in Finding Dory. He's one of those sea uh, sea lions. I oh, did not realize. Oh yeah, that's Him right. Dominic West. It's a wire reunion. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that is a really cool yes. wire reunion. I, yeah. And then Ultron, because um, he's in there for like all of three seconds, but he's yeah. credited on this. Yeah. That's why he got mad. He's like, I need to be more in these, and then they kill them off. Yeah. Then Jungle Book, and then Zootopia. Uh, yeah, Zootopia, that's right. He's the police chief. Well, good job, Beezer um, Seppler. He's, he's stacking it up. Yeah. All right, let's move on now. That was that was games. Let's move on to Out Now Feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers. Then we gave they gave us questions that we can give answers to. First question is, who is the fastest action star you can think of? Justin writes Jason Satham and Jet Li. Chris has Jason, uh, Jason Satham and Crank. Tom Cruise, he's always running. LOL. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam has Neo, which makes sense. And lastly, Jay Cluett has uh, Quickless Cage, uh, Jet Flea, Jeremy Runner, and Michael Fastbender, which are all puns. <laughs> and I appreciate that you took the time out of your busy day to do that, Jay. I like when Abe says that they're all puns because or else we'd be lost. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this exactly. This is like the end. This is a theme. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, we've got to work together to defeat Idris Elba. Good uh, job, an actual, Jay. An actual, they took 30 seconds out of the movie to show their two faces and say that theme. My my answer will be Bruce Lee. Uh, I think he's probably the fastest action star there is. Was it that um, cat that saw Norris die? It's uh, it's that guy from the raid. Uh, it's like Yaya Ruiz. No, the other guy. The guy who was in John Wick. Oh, like Mad Dog. Oh, Mad Dog, yes. 
That guy throws like 800 punches in like two seconds. Yeah, that guy's that, that guy's faster. <laughs> what am I yeah. talking about? <laughs> Plays two different characters in the two different movies. That's right. Yeah. How the, good he is. He's the he's the Lee Van <laughs> Cleef of the Raid universe. They needed to bring him back because they're like, you're too good to die. <laughs> yeah. Mike, do you have a fast star you want to mention? Uh, I can go Bruce Lee. Keep it classy. Yeah. Who is the good, most good enough for the rock to quote? So yeah, yeah. Who is the most furious action star you can think of? Justin writes after seeing Hobbs and Shaw, Idris Elba for the win. Chris writes Stallone in First Blood. He was pissed. And Jay adds livid Tyler. And then he has an addendum: the fastest and more furious action star will be Quickless Rage. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> Who is this? Hey, again, Jay, Jay, guy? thank you for doing all that. Again, that takes Jay's all the way in England. He's very bored, and so he answers our Facebook <laughs> questions. Jay, fella, knock it off. <laughs> I look forward to getting to the two of you on a podcast together. Uh, I would say the most furious action star I can think about is um, probably uh, Shere Khan. Um, and runner up will be Mufasa. I'm sorry, yep. not Mufasa, Scar. Those classic action stars that appeared in all those movies together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you're sure gone. Dude, that guy's 1956? Jeez, I mean, that's a classic. I'm going with Jack Nicholson. Jungle Book's 67, by the way, but I, 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 I admire your, your gusto for going <laughs> yeah. forward on that one. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I like it. Charles Bronson. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. He's more of a silent fury kind of guy, but I get it. I hear what you're Oh, about. he's smoking on the screen there when he turns in uh, to the left. Yeah, you see, killed my family. <laughs> that was a good Charles Bronson. Oh yeah, my, I do. People good forget Charles that he's got like a, a higher voice. He's got a really reedy voice. <laughs> yeah. uh, the next question is: What's the most over-the-top action movie stunt or sequence that you like going back to? Justin writes: Honestly, uh, it was the safe heist uh, in the, uh, but most of Hobbs and Shaw was all over the top and it worked. I had issues with some things, but it was so much fun I didn't even care. I mean, a Halo jump for what looked like a side-by-side. Back to back seat in F22 or FB 35B. Just to be clear, a halo is between 15 and 35,000 feet. That plane didn't look that high. I agree with you. There was also problems with their parachute opening like 20 feet before they landed. Um, <laughs> they have good thighs. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, Chris, uh, most of the past six, when the tank busts out of the motorway freeway for you guys, the 100 mile long <laughs> runway, which was, I forgot about. Uh, also, Fast 7, flying, uh, what is it, uh, like in Hypersport. The vault scene in 5 was awesome. Okay, just got back from the cinema. This ranks pretty high, too. So he's probably, he's talking about Hobbs and Shaw, all of it. So a lot of uh, Fast and Furious franchise love here. Most over-the-top action movie stunt sequence I like going back to. I generally think of Tom Hardy on like the in Mad Max Fury Road on the, like, the polecat. When he's when he's crossing oh. over the screen as the exploding tank is happening all at the same time, that's just movie magic. I mean, that's that's that's, that's cinema encased in one great sequence that I can just it's it's perfect. It's per, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys have an over the top action sequence. Well, the the listener there was listing a bunch of Fast and Furious sequences. Did he mention the the make it rain scene from Part Eight? With all the cars that are being hijacked and I don't think so. Oh, the zombie cars. Yeah, that's a great scene. It is. Yeah, it's fun. That is quite over uh, the top. I watched yeah. the um I watched the Statham arc in preparation for this movie. So I watched six, seven, and eight again. And I mean, issues with eight aside, there are some really good action stuff going on in eight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, minor. Issues. The, ro- the Rock bare hands a torpedo in that movie. So. That, yeah. Let's... <laughs> 
Um, I like is is it six when Dom jumps across the highway, yes. catches let yeah, yeah. I love that moment. And that is just when they went. Off. Yeah, that's when he went full, you know, racially Superman. ambiguous Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, but then uh, just outside of the franchise, uh, that Burj Khalifa sequence from uh, Mission Impossible, I, I love watching that. I've watched like the special features on that multiple times. It's just it's bananas. I mean, I wouldn't call this over the top because it fits for the movie itself. But one of the things that I always go back to is that jungle scene in Predator when they're just like unloading on an unspecified section of the jungle. Oh, when like, like Jesse Ventura dies and it's like, just, just shoot at yeah, this! Just shoot at the jungle! <laughs> Use all of your bullets right now! But I, I like how uh, the guy with like the grenade launcher just like shoots like 10 grenade launches and then the, like he comes back like, we hit nothing, man! So can I throw in, I watch a lot of Asian cinema, so I'm going to contribute um, the hospital shootout in Hard Boiled. That oh, is yeah. great. Of course. And also kind yeah. of dramatic when, when Tony Lung's like, I think I shot a cop. He's like, you didn't shoot a cop! I mean, he has to, like, Chow Yun-Fat has to save a baby during that sequence. Like, I it's, know, yeah. It's everything. Yeah. Or this that, that uh, whole elevator sequence where they, they shoot a bunch of guys, get into an elevator, the camera doesn't stop, they go yeah. up in the elevator, come back out, keep shooting yeah, it, more guys. It takes yeah. a while to rewatch it, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff in both watch. of the Raid movies, too. That's true, the Raid movies, yeah. But also a great point about just John Woo Hong Kong action films. I mean, some of those, all of those things are over the top. He even brings it over to Face Off, and all of those sequences are over the top. I'll even yeah. throw in the, the entire last hour of Mika's uh, 13 Assassins remake. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It would be so good. I've just realized now that a lot of movies have over-the-top action sequences. God, 13 uh, Assassins is great. Uh, all right. Next one we have here. What's your favorite movie spinoff? What's a spinoff you'd want to see happen? Justin writes, Hobbs and Shaw is my favorite spinoff. What I would like to see even more spinning off like movies is with how Shaw's family got started and how the and, and more of the Hobbs background. Jay writes, if there was a Frasier movie, that would be my answer. <laughs> and Chris writes, Creed or Logan. Mm, those are mm. good answers there. I am a big Creed fan. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, Cars Two. It's, it's just a sequel. It's a no, there's, I mean Mater's in it, but there's no like Lightning Queen. It's just about. Yes, he is. <laughs> what are you talking about? My mission. Come on. It's a sequel. It's called Cars Two. Like, I'm just trying to throw some left to Cars Two. People put it low on their Pixar uh, ratings. Enoughs. The Lego Batman movie. It's a good one. I think, uh, Tokyo Drift was kind of a spinoff, you know, before they yeah. tied yeah. that all back in um i can't think of anything else best spin-offs i don't suppose into the spider-verse is it's not a spin-off is it it's a a separate property yeah because it's not it hasn't spun off from anything technically well spider-man does plenty of spinning but but um thanks for the setup aaron (laughs) i don't know puss in boots there you go there you go you know what what am i thinking (laughs) annabelle creation the my favorite of the conjuring this one like this this summer no, the the previous one. Okay. Although I like Annabelle Comes Home as well. Okay, got it. All right. Um, what are some films you love where the actors embrace their culture? Justin writes Moana. It's a good answer. Mm. I I kind of want to say JCVD. Is that does that count? That counts. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I mean, right, he's actually doing something. You know, in like, as far as like going back know, to Belgium and exactly. And, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great monologue in that movie. Um, I'd also throw in their cool runnings, no joke. Sure. Because I am Jamaican, so that's the only thing I can be. <laughs> um, I put up a caption this scene. It's a scene where 
uh, Idris Elba is torturing Hobbs and Shaw, and they're just seated there in chains. Uh, Chris writes, so which one of you clowns hid my hair gel? <laughs> Adam writes, they told me this was going to be a fart off. Good one, Adam. Mozique writes, this is a story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue, two young lovers with nothing better to do. <laughs> and Ricardo writes, first one to grow a full set of hair wins. I feel like, uh, I don't know who would grow more hair in that, uh, between those two. Probably Statham. Uh, on their late word, but Hair on their head? Yeah, hair on their head. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, last question is, uh, what is cinema's most macho team-up? Scott has the entire cast of The Dirty Dozen. Renette writes Steve McQueen and Paul Newman in The Towering Inferno. Adam writes Aaron Newarth and Abraham Mua. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> uh, Justin has I can't even think of uh, I can't even think now after reading that. Good call. So he's he's giving Adam some props there. And lastly, Jeff has Sponge, SpongeBob and Patrick. There you go. Macho team ups. I know. I think we know the you answer. Have, <laughs> you have to throw the Expendables in there, right? I mean. I mean, you do. Dolph I'd Lundgren throw... being a bad guy and then coming back? Yeah. I would throw in 300 as well. That's pretty macho. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, we got one question this week. It's from Dennis. He writes, haven't seen it yet, but does Idris Elba live and become their ally in the next movie as they fight? I don't know, Taron Edgerton? First of all, Dennis, don't write things out loud because somebody's just stolen this idea and they're going to actually make it into the next movie now. So you're, you're absolutely right. That's actually going to happen. <laughs> there you go. I also right. just want to add, lastly, uh, that they had the photo of real, real rock and real dad in like next to the computer in one of the scenes, and I was like, "That's a nice little, uh, little uh, Easter egg." Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's get this. Uh, let's start wrapping things up here. Let's do a little out now. Presentals out now. These are movies that are coming out on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, and all that stuff this week. Uh, feel free to give a yay or nay to these as I go through them. First up is Pokemon: Cole and Detective Teak Pikachu. Yay! See it. Yay! It was fun. Didn't see it. Uh, Tolkien. Nay? I was not big on it. Yeah. It's a a Wikipedia movie. Um, Let's see. The Souvenir. What's this one about? This one has Tilda Swinton, among others. It's supposed to be great. I have not seen it. I haven't heard much of it. Sure, check it out. The Curse of La Llorona. Nay. Uh... I think you guys talked about it enough for me to just be like, yeah, I don't know why she just doesn't teleport and kill people much yeah. easier. Uh, Palms. Mm, haven't heard of it, but pass. This is like Diane Keaton, among others, become cheerleaders. Oh, right, right. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Charlie Says, another Manson film that came out this year. It's going to pass. Um, let's see. And it's directed by, uh, what's her name? Mary Heron, who did American Psycho. Oh, I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, I know that one actually focuses on Manson, obviously, because all Charlie says as opposed to Hollywood. Mm. Uh, let's see. Batman Hush, the latest DC animated film that's adapting the the famous comic Batman Hush. Uh, I haven't heard of it, but I'm sure it's good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm okay with that story. So it's like a movie version of it. It's like, all right, maybe I'll watch it eventually. Is it uh, where Batman loses his hearing and there's a serial killer outside and, you know. I wish, but no, yeah. it's more of like a greatest hits Batman thing where Batman fights like every single one of his villains and Superman to find out this character, Hush, who's killing people. Mm. Um, anyway, Donnie Brook is a fighting movie with Jamie Bell, among other people in there. Glad that Jamie Bell is making movies. And uh, let's see what we left behind looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 
I remember seeing the trailer for the documentary, and I'm curious to see how it, what people thought, but it doesn't sound like people thought much of it. I've, I've heard very good things about it. I have no yeah. interest in this, obviously, because I don't care about Star Trek, but still, I've, I've heard things. Do you care more about Star Quest? I don't, what? What is Star Quest? I don't, I don't know. I just knew that you were going to say something about Star Wars. I, I don't tend to say anything about Star Wars when I talk about Star Trek. I just say I don't care about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I don't stack them against each other. I just don't care for one thing. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Strike Back Season 6. Mm, haven't heard of it. Um, let's see. On Kino, we have a foreign affair in the front page. So we'll yeah, check out both of them this week. And on Criterion, an angel at my table. Criterion mm. collectors. Okay. On uh, Netflix this week, Dear White People season three. Good job on getting season three. Uh, let's see. Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj volume four. That's already on four. Well, I guess they're they're like eight episodes each season, right, or something like that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And they come out multiple times a year, I believe. Okay, right? okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I noticed Jackie Brown's back on Netflix. A lot There's of Tarantino's a... on Netflix and Prime these days. Hateful Eight and Glorious Art, but Jackie Brown's new to Netflix again. Yeah. So, and then Pulp Fiction was on... I can't remember which one, but I watched snippets of it. And The Bank Job is on Netflix now. Mm. That's, just a good, that's just a good movie with Jason Statham. So just wanted to put that out there. Uh, that's the one where... Uh... He pulls a bank job. Oh, okay, that's that, what, which one am I thinking of? I don't know because mine is hyper specific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no real messing around with what that movie's about. No, wasn't there one where he like plays like an MI6 agent for the government back in like 1950, whatever? It's certainly not the bank job. No, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. No, he's like an old school criminal. It's set in the it's set in like the 60s or 70s. I believe the 70s, as I recall. Yeah, but it's not it's not the one with like involving Lloyd's of London, is it? It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, on Prime this week, we have something called This Is Football, Season 1, which I only wanted to mention just because 300's also on Prime this week, so it was just funny to me that it's also that says This Is Football, and then 300's also there. Mm. Um, anyway, that's that's it. Uh, let's see, that's what's out now. Next week's show. Next week, we got Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm, the scariest of stories. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And last thing we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Mike Dillon, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, as mentioned, The Farewell. Go support that film. Um, Peanut Butter Falcon's worth a look. I'm not entirely sure what its rollout is over the, the, the next month. Mm-hmm. What and, is it next? Uh, I'm seeing Loose, Loose tomorrow. Um, and I'm also attending a pre-screening of Scary Stories in a few days. I, I gotta say, I'm not terribly excited, mainly because it's rated PG-13, and that tends to be a deal-breaker for me in this genre, but who knows? Maybe it'll be okay. I don't think that should be surprising for a series of books that's geared towards a young audience, though. No, I'm not surprised that it's rated PG-13. I'm disappointed because uh, you, it, I, I've been uh, let down by that rating before in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel you. That's bite, you know? Jose, what do people see in theaters right now? Um, they should go see... Uh, go see The Farewell. I thought that was like a great time of the movies, and I think anybody would enjoy that movie. What do you see next? I'm trying to catch up on stuff that I missed earlier because I was busy. So um, mm-hmm. I heard good things from you guys about Stuber. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, and I haven't seen Once Upon a Time yet. So those, I'm hoping to catch those two during the week at some point. Cool. Hey. Never would recommend Toy Story 4 so that it gets in second place and that I can get 10 <laughs> points. Uh, happen, and, but, you know. and then I, it only needs 30 million or 40 million. Um, and then uh, I'd also uh, 
uh, say that I'm going to see Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, but I also am trying to catch The Farewell this week. Um, I would definitely say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because it, it rules. Um, and The Farewell, of course. And oh, I forgot to mention this, The Nightingale. Um, that came out in very limited release this week. This is Jennifer Kent's follow-up to The Babadook. Um, it's a very rough, brutal... Shared universe? Tasmanian Western. No, not at all. Um, and But uh, it's uh, it's worthwhile, for sure. And um, next is, uh, yeah, Scary Stories, I believe is what I'm saying next. Uh, so with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. All my written reviews end up over there. I'm also on We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue. Um, I'll be writing about Preacher again, actually. It starts up this week, so that's on Wheel of Entertainment. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff on my Instagram, Abe.Mua, Twitter.com slash Moose, hashtag The Island Provides, uh, and Substance 40 the podcast. Jose Cordova, anywhere people can find you online? Yeah, find me occasionally at The Young Folks, but mainly find me on Twitter at Jose Cordova. It's my name. Mike Dillon, any, anything you want to plug? Uh, nah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> um, with all that said, you can find other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or right on Facebook at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. There's, of course, our Instagram page as well. It's instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And, of course, send plenty of scary clown gifts and ways that we can get Abe to go to the all-clown screening of it, Chapter 2 over at outnotpodcast.tumblr.com. If you go, I'll go to there you go. the right. SF Alamo. Sounds <laughs> like, uh, sounds like uh, <laughs> a plan that's slowly coming together. I to know. Kind of, yeah, I was like, you know, if Jose's going to go, it feels like I can't back down. Never back down <laughs> is what he, is what Jaiman Hansu told me. Yeah. To, to... <laughs> Exactly. That's what happened. <laughs> Jose, Mike, thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you evening. so much, Mike and Jose. All right. See you next time. That was a good time. For sure. And that's going to do it. So until next week when we talk about some scary stories, until then, so long. And goodbye. I got a good side, I got a bad side, I got a monkey on my back and I call it bright. I got a mean streak, I don't care to hide and I will fight for my boys even if I die. And I got one heart, I got two fists, I'm a dirty fighter and a strategist. So yo, in two minutes I will clean out your men and I clean out your mouth like a toothpick. Hey yo, something wicked this way do come, sitting on two wheels, carrying two guns in a bulletproof suit, looking like a jump. Young Carl B. Briggs done the black superman yeah. I am the evolution of man And I will win any way that I can I'll go to war anywhere that I am I'll go to war yeah. I'll go to war Hey, Aaron. Yes. Was Universal really particular, like when they send their EPKs and whatnot, were they really um, particular about making sure you use the full title in your reviews? Because Always. they work with me. Yeah, no, they, they, <laughs> oh. that's, uh, that's, that's why my review title for the film is super long. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, that's just how we roll around here, you know, yeah. right, right or like die this. when it comes to pronunciation and, yeah. and punctuation, pronunciation. Multiple especially. ampersands. Yeah. <laughs>